Blog Talk Radio. as I have with the summer of the year 2016. For the simple reason that for now and for all time, in my mind, until it begins to deteriorate, and until the next life when such things become infinitely less important, I will forever associate this summer, this four-month, four- to six-month stretch of time for the purposes of film review, with quite possibly the single worst spate of movies I have ever seen in this condensed a period of time in my entire life. And I hope you all have at least been able to enjoy our reviews of them, because otherwise I am at a severe loss here, guys. I really, really am. Anyway, I'm Robert Winfrey, and this is the Radlich and Broadcasting Network Movie Review Podcast. I'm here with uh, the relentlessly optimistic, to the point where occasionally I wonder just how many contact highs he got at metal concerts when he was a young man. Mark, how many of those did you have? Because I Con- contact highs or how many concerts? Yeah, contact highs at metal concerts. Um. Maybe one that I one that I could possibly remember because you know you got to remember these are fairly big places. It's not like I was walking into places besides the closet, and they weren't all filled with pie. I will tell you that I I did get my very first contact high was a, I think was referred to as a clam bake, which was I went out with a group of girls. Some of them were related, you know, sister, little sister, um, and uh, I got in the car with them, and they all proceeded to smoke pot, and I was a bit of a square and didn't smoke pot. But they were like, let's see how high we can get him through a clam bake, which was they, which was they, they rolled up the windows, they made sure there was no air in the car, and they proceeded to smoke a lot of pot. All right, uh, that's a long way around of saying your relentless optimism is simultaneously impressive to me and makes me question the amount of functioning brain cells you have, much the same way that my relentless pessimism in most cases is indicative of a lot of my own personal issues. But have, Mark Radlich is here. How are you doing, Mark? I have to resist calling you a robot in frustration at times. By all means, hey, do look. so. Hey, look, something bad has happened to that black woman over there on Twitter. <laughs> and Robert Winfrey says, does not compute Twitter. And I have to say, stop it, you robot. 
I freely acknowledge I am somewhere between a quarter and a half robot as a general rule. And that fluctuating percentage also coincides. It's a zero sum balance with my nihilism. Um, so I'm, I'm, doing a, I'm anywhere between uh, 50% and 25% robot or 50% and 25% nihilist on any given day. I'm doing okay. Um, I'm pulling myself out of the, uh, the muck and mire of, of, of my own nonsense. And I'm moving on and I'm, and I'm, I'm in a decent mood tonight. Um, playing some Star Wars Angry Birds on the Xbox. Um, however, I have to say, and we're going to get right into it with, with Ghostbusters, because not since the last needless uproar around a silly movie have I been this disgusted with humanity. And I understand there are, there are more important things in life than... Um, Movies and trolls and 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 internet hate and celebrities being attacked on Twitter and all of that, uh, much more important things. And I don't always know. <laughs> I don't always know what, what's going on. But the, but but for the most part, there is real life stuff happening that is more important than all of this. But that said, I still when I, I have managed most of my internet adult life to stay away from a lot of the internet. Not, like, I don't go on Reddit. I, I don't go on... I, I tend to stay away from a lot of the comment boards as such because I don't want to be exposed to um, the, the, the sort of red-hot hatred that comes from somebody who will suffer no consequences for acting inhumane or saying ridiculous things. I, I've been good at getting away from all that. And, be, and, and by virtue of this podcast and some of the other ones that I've done, I've been forced into some of the thick of some of this stuff, and I don't like it, sir. I don't like it at all. I, 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 I want to go back to my nice, comfortable, I have no clue what's happening on the Internet. I don't know what an emoji is. I don't know nothing. Just I want to stick my head back in the sand and pretend you people don't exist. I was happier that way. I'm sure you were. All right. Uh, coincidentally, my does not compute, the, the does not compute thing that Mark referenced, we're going to get into a little bit uh, later in the show. And I do wish to kind of explain both to him and to all of you what that was about. Um, we're going to do the show a little different tonight, in large part because there's not a whole lot to talk about when it comes to this movie. Uh, for those of you looking forward to Mark and I spending an hour yelling at each other, probably not going to happen. We already, we agreed weeks before this movie actually came out that we were just going to wind up agreeing to disagree in all probability. Uh, now, and, and as, it, again, that was our projection. Then we both saw the movie and yup, we are, <laughs> we have reached cross paths rather than yell at each other pointlessly about my opinion is better than your opinion or my perspective. I feel this way. No, I feel this way. Well, screw you because my feelings are more valid. No, we're not doing that. Not going to happen tonight. There's no point to it. We both acknowledge this. We are both going to express our feelings on the film, our analysis of the film 
if there's any major points that we have severe contention on, we're going to briefly discuss them rationally and with plenty of respect towards each other's perspectives and opinions. And then at the end of it, we're going to again metaphorically shake hands, agree to disagree, and we're going to move on to talk about what is infinitely more interesting than this cinematic piece of crap, the sociological response to it, which is, again, so much more interesting than a generic and really, really bad comedy. And you've already got a little preview of how I felt about this. Okay. So, <laughs> so, again, we're not going to get in where there's not going to be, you know, verbal fisticuffs. We just, we've both kind of decided that this movie is not worth that much interpersonal strife, even if it's just, you know, for the purposes of this pod, it's just not worth it. So you're going to get our perspectives. We're going to debate a little bit about it. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about how the movie could have been made better. Cause I do, I, I, it's one of the things Mark pointed out if I'm going to criticize a movie for being bad, I really should be able to come up with at least one way or, you know, how could you have improved it? How could you have made it better? And so I thought about it and I came up with a few and I read a couple of other reviews and I thought some of them had good ideas and good points and some of them were crap. And that's not just, and this is beyond the old Homer Simpson, be more funny. That's not what he means. Well, partially, yes. Your movie is fundamentally unfunny, and shame on all of you for that. But I'm not just going to shout that over and over again and pretend that's a legitimate form of criticism or construct or a constructive piece of advice. It, it, it's just not. So that's how we're going to kind of do this going forward. We're going to have you know the usual segments. We're going to talk about the finances of this. I'm going to yell at Sony for being a bunch of desperate, sad sacks of human fecal matter. Because seriously, uh, we're going to yell at other reviewers because, uh, look, Mark found a guy last week who almost gave me an aneurysm on air. It was hilarious to those around me. Uh, I'm not quite sure if we're going to be if I'm going to be able to top that this week. But if there's any movie or more importantly, any critical response to a movie that might elicit a similar reaction to some sad piece of crap like we talked about last week. It might be this one. So uh, at his own request, Mark is going to do the plot synopsis this week. I imagine he didn't want me sneaking in snarky comments every five seconds, even though I've been trying my best to curtail that. So Mark, I will completely shut up while you do this and give us the synopsis of this thing. All right. Uh, our movie starts. Um, I'm not going to go totally like scene for scene, beat by beat. I kind of want to cover this overall, but we do start uh, in a tour of an old New York City house, um, tour guides telling people about it. He starts talking about the ghost. Um, it's the, um, the, the as the scene moves on, it goes from a gag to a, there's really a ghost in there that brings up the title, and we then shift to the heart of the film, the uh, the character who sort of the whole thing sort of rests emotionally rests on, uh, Kristen Wiig's Aaron Gilbert. 
She is an estranged partner of the other star of this film, Melissa McCarthy's Abby Yates. When they were younger, they wrote a book together uh, about ghosts. She has since distanced herself from ghosts and the paranormal, and she has pursued a career of strict science in the field of physics. Uh, she has devoted herself to professionalism and uh, science and the scientific method, and that has gotten her near, te uh, near tenured at Columbia. That is where we find her. She has put aside childish things, and but this is essentially her character. She's put aside childish things, and she is striving to be the best professional that she can, and she has just about reached the pinnacle of her professional career when suddenly uh, all the stuff about ghosts starts coming back to her life. For one thing, we find um, Ed Begley Jr. as Ed Mulgrave uh, comes to her and, and says, hey, my, you know, this house is haunted. We just found out about this. Can you come and help us? And, that, and she says, well, how did you find out about me? And why are you bringing this to my attention? Well, you wrote this book. Holy shit, how did the book end up on the internet again? And that brings her in contact with Abby Yates. So as, Chris, as Aaron Gilbert, uh, Kristen Wiig, has abandoned the paranormal, Abby Yates has thrown herself full throttle into it. She has accepted it. It is the meaning of her life. It is, the, it is her life's work that she is devoting herself to. And that brings her in direct conflict with Aaron Gilbert. Uh, because what, you know, she's republishing the book. She's continually talking about it. And that's bringing unwanted attention towards Kristen Wiig's character. Um, when they, when, uh, what, uh, what forces them together uh, in this conflict is that there is, in fact, a ghost at this house. So they go along with her new partner, played by Kate McKinnon, who is an engineer, I would believe a nuclear engineer named Jillian Holtzman. The three of them go to see if this ghost is real. They find out that it is when an ecto project when it, when it I believe the phrase was ecto projectiles all over uh, Aaron Gilbert, Kristen Wick. Uh, she proceeds to yell into a camera, "Ghosts are real." Video goes up on YouTube. Tenured position is out the window. She's now now that that whole track that she was on is now gone. Um, she's sort of stuck, you know, back in. The, while she's been validated in the sense, and this is going to happen throughout the film, the, the need for validation, the taking away of validation, the regaining of validation, the subsequent taking it away again. So while on the one hand, she's lost her professional career, on the other, her belief in the paranormal has been validated by this experience with this ghost. Um, let me stop there and talk about the villain. The plot of this movie is that we have a guy named Rowan North, played by Neil Casey, who is building devices. These, these devices are amplifying ghosts in particular areas. He's laying them out in a pattern called ley lines so that when they are all activated, they will open up a, a, a they will open up the ghost dimension. Uh, go, an army of ghosts will come out. He will kill himself. He will become a ghost, and he will lead a ghost army and destroy New York City. This is what we find out throughout the course of the film. What we start with, though, is just a series of weird devices left around the city that are causing um, 
more powerful ghosts to exist than they were before. So the example being the, the, uh, the ghost of the woman in the house that vomits on Kristen Wiig wouldn't have been as powerful without said machine. Okay. So uh, that brings us to Leslie Jones's character, Patty Tolan, because the second device and the second ghost that we see is an electrocuted prisoner. Um, she points, she is a, Amateur scholar of New York City history. She's also an MTA toll booth, uh, an MTA um, subway booth worker. Um, and she happens to see Rowan North go into the subway. She goes after him. She sees the ghost of an executed prisoner. That's uh, an executed prisoner because above the subway used to be a prison where they executed people, which she talks about. So, uh, You've got now back to our three main characters. They have decided that after their experience with the ghost and the subsequent loss of Aaron, of uh, not only Kristen Wiig's job, but when they go to ask for more money and more funding and uh, whatnot to bring Kristen Wiig in, <laughs> Melissa McCarthy and Kate McKinnon are both fired from their job as well. So they take their equipment. They decide, well, with nothing left to lose and nothing else, and nothing else to have. Why don't we try, and with this idea that they can actually trap a ghost, which they talk about, they say, hey, let's take this idea that you have about trapping a ghost, and let's, let's go and actually do it. Let's attempt to find and trap ghosts. They go and they end up, um, they, they can't rent the old firehouse, which is sort of a you know, throwback to the first movie. So they end up in a... Uh, above a Chinese food restaurant, the same Chinese restaurant that apparently Melissa McCarthy gets the lunch from, which is a running gag throughout the movie. Well, um, well, it's a running it's gag running inducer. Gag. It's a running gag throughout the movie. So, uh, so now we have uh, Patty, who has seen the ghost. She goes uh, to seek out. Oh, just for this point, call them Ghostbusters. Although that's not their, that they haven't even adopted that as a name yet. But for the sake of this summary, she goes and seeks out the Ghostbusters and says, "Hey, I saw a ghost in the subway tunnel. Come and help me." So uh, they take some of the new equipment that Kate McKinnon has developed to uh, shoot at, weaken, and trap a ghost. They take it into the subway with them. They see the same ghost that she saw. They test the equipment. The equipment doesn't work quite as well as it should. They are nearly killed by a train, and uh, the ghost and the ghost ends up escaping. Um, not, not before they are all slimed, by the way. I thought they could destroy the ghost in that sequence, but the way that she made it sound like the, when, when uh, Leslie Jones says the ghost is going to be the third scariest thing on that subway car, I was like, okay, I guess the ghost got away. In any case, they also showed again. it in the final. It's actually in the window of the uh, caboose on that train as it speeds down the tunnel. Right. Okay. So the go. So the equipment doesn't work quite as quite as good. Um, you know, it's the first. It's good. Good first start, but not good enough to trap the ghost. And subsequently, Kristen Wiig is slimed for a second time in this movie. Um, they go back. Uh, now, what ha what happens from this point on in the movie is Leslie Jones. Uh, joins the team. They hire Chris Hemsworth as the dumb blonde secretary, which I'm not going to get you into. I mean, there's a lot of gags, there's a lot of jokes, there's a lot of funny stuff that happens with him, um, but it's it's not worth, it doesn't really add to the plot until the end of the movie. 
So, uh, like I said, Leslie Jones as Patty Cohen joins the team, and she brings uh, and she brings with with her a hearse that she borrows from her uncle, who turns out to be Ernie Hudson. Um, Kate McKinnon develops more stuff. There's a lot of sequences in the movie of them testing out the equipment. The evolution, it evolves from scene to scene where it starts off with one thing and then she makes an improvement and it becomes better and it becomes better. And it's a lot of physical humor, especially with Melissa McCarthy being bounced around by this unstable equipment. A lot of gags about the equipment in the movie. Uh, they, this, 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 the third ghost sequence and the first official uh, as, as, the ghost, as a four-unit Ghostbusters team brings them to the Stone Street Theater, I believe. Uh, that looks like Irving Plaza. There's a metal concert going on there. This is where Ozzy Osbourne does his cameo. Uh, a ghost is loose uh, at this metal show. There's an extended sequence of them running down this ghost. Uh, they, discover a, they discover a third machine, an the third amplifying machine. They uh, finally chase this ghost into the main auditorium. This everyone has seen. You've seen the commercial. You've seen the bit where um, Melissa McCarthy stage dives one way. Um, Leslie Jones attempts to stage dive and does the whole, I don't know if it's a race thing or a, or a lady thing. It's a race thing. But I'm mad as hell. <laughs> so the ghost perches itself on her shoulder. They shoot the thing. They trap it. And in one of the funniest lines of the movie, Kate McKinnon yells out, We got a ghost in a box! So they now successfully have weakened and trapped a ghost for the first time in a movie. This is, this is the, the high point of the movie for the team. They have been validated to the nth degree. They have succeeded in the one thing that, that has eluded them up to this point, being able to trap the damn thing. They, have, um, they are wildly celebrated at this show. And just as soon as that happens, the mayor shows up, or they are they are asked to go see the mayor, and they are told, knock it off. Um, you can't be telling people about ghosts. You can't be ghost busting. You know, you need to, you, you are too high profile. You're going to cause a panic. This is the same beat as in Men in Black. You know, you know individual people are easy to reason with. Groups of people, you know, go insane kind of logic. So uh, there, the, the mayor's whole thing is, hey, we know what's happening. We are trying to do something about it. Please don't get in the way. So validation sought and received, validation taken away. This will happen a few more times throughout the movie. Uh, they go back to they go back to their headquarters. The character that Bill Murray plays is Martin Heiss. He's a ghost debunker. He shows up, basically says, show me the ghost. And in a scene reminiscent of the original where Walter Peck says, you know, show me how your machinery works. Um, Kristen Wiig has a lapse of sanity driven by the fact that she has once again been invalidated and can't, you know, um, and she'll talk about why in, in one of the forthcoming scenes. Uh, she opens up the box, the trap, and lets the ghost out. The ghost then proceeds to kill Bill Murray. I actually told this out of order. That happens first, then the ghost is Apologies. Thank you for not correcting me. Um, seriously, just letting me get letting me get through this. I believe the next thing that happens with them, and again, they're still continuing to evolve. Now, now she's building different weapons, like a ghost chipper, and 
you know, two ghost sidearms and a ghost shotgun and all this fun stuff. Um, and there's more fun in the alley where they blow up the delivery, the shitty delivery guy's motorcycle. Um, they, uh, they, they start to figure out that, uh, what he, what Rowan is doing. And let me talk about Rowan for a second. Rowan is a disaffected genius who has decided that humanity must be cleansed of its terribleness and destroyed via this army of ghosts. So, Yes, we've seen this before. You now um, devoted more time and thought to that character than anyone associated with the movie did. <laughs> well, it was a character. Can't can't tell me it wasn't. So you have this disaffected genius who is tired of humanity, who has felt shit on all his life, and has decided that he's he's angry and he's not going to take it anymore. And he develops this plan to lead an army of ghosts uh, to destroy the city. Um, so they figure out what he's doing. They have figured out where all of the different devices are, which lead them to the Mercado Hotel. They go and confront him. He, um, they think they've backed him into a corner. He actually executes the next part of his plan, which is essentially to make suicide and become a ghost. This, in effect, allows him to start possessing people. He first possesses Melissa McCarthy. This is the scene you've seen in the trailer where she throws uh, Kate McKinnon out the window. And the patio and, and the power of Patty compels her to stop and she gets punched in the face. Um, that whole sequence. Um, Chris Hemsworth shows up and says, I want to be a Ghostbuster. You saw this in the trailer as well. He is then possessed. And for the remainder of the movie, Chris Hemsworth is your villain. Um, he goes back to the main device, uh, he turns it on, opens up the vortex, out come the ghosts. We are into our final sequence. Some uh, little things here and there I probably skipped, but it, for the most part, this is all you really need to know. Um, so he executes his final plan. The ghosts are everywhere. The cops come, try to stop him. He freezes them all. They thankfully cut the dance number out of the movie. You can see it in the credits, but there's supposed to be an extended song and dance number. All they do is do kind of a Saturday Night Live pose, a Saturday Night Fever pose, and that's all you see. Um, this leads to the, uh, four women fighting the ghosts in the street, house to house, <laughs> like a terrorist operation, um, an anti-terror operation. Uh, this is an elongated action sequence as they use the various armaments that Kate McKinnon has developed. Kate McKinnon has a very cool action sequence where she uses her dual pistols to zap a bunch of ghosts. Um... There's a, there's a sequence that I actually had a huge laugh about where uh, Slimer steals their car, which, has, which they say has a, um, a uh, nuclear uh, device on top of it. Later on when we're still talking about why I like this movie, I can get into what exactly was said that I thought was so funny. But um, yeah, Slimer steals the car and goes for a joyride. He ends up picking up other ghosts along the way, which becomes a which becomes an ongoing gag throughout this whole sequence. Uh, Kristen Wiig shows up. She saves them from being squished by a ghost state, by a ghost balloon state puff marshmallow man. Once they have finished with all of the, we'll call them pawn ghosts, <laughs> the small army of ghosts that attack them, then they go after Rowan. There's an exchange, the bit force, where, um, you know, they're trying to get him to abandon 
uh, Chris Hemsworth's body and so they can take him back and save him, which he finally does. And then there's an exchange between him and, and, and Leslie Jones that goes something like, you know, what form would you like me to take? Look, so, look like something cute. How about your logo? Yeah, that's nice. And then he becomes the logo and then grows the logo into a huge monster. Again, reminiscent of the first movie, little force, but whatever. This is the big final action sequence. He's a huge monster and he's wrecking the city a la Safe Off Marshmallow Man. Um, they decide that if they can shoot the car with the nuclear device and send it into the portal, it'll close the portal. They go ahead and they do that. They shoot the nuclear device. It causes the portal to reverse and it's creating a giant trap. Uh, all the ghosts get sucked back into it again, including uh, Melissa McCarthy. She gets sucked back in and in a payoff to an earlier conversation in the movie where uh, the Abby Yates character had felt that the Aaron Gilbert character had abandoned her to pursue her, you know, to pursue her science profession, uh, absence of the paranormal. Um, she says, I'm not going to abandon you this time. She hooks herself to the thing and she jumps into the hole and she pulls her out and she saves her. And for whatever reason, their hair is white when it's all over. Um, the, once again, the mayor says, hey, we appreciate you. Please do what you're doing in secret. Here's a lot of money. They uh, move into the firehouse, fully funded by the mayor, as long as they're discreet. And, uh, gosh, what am I missing here? Uh, oh, and the last thing that happens, I believe, is that uh, they're listening to a recording and uh, you, they hear the words of all. And I believe that's our Did I miss anything important? You know, your summation was generally more interesting than that actual movie, and I still struggled to stay awake. <laughs> Thanks, I think. It's intended as a compliment. Let me first say, I'm not a huge fan of Melissa McCarthy. I liked her well enough on, uh, on Mike and Mindy when I watched the show. I only watched it for about two or three seasons, and then it got a little... Uh, they made the character a little too crazy. Uh, when she quit teaching and said be a stay-at-home writer. Um, but even on that show, her thing was less jokes and, you know, and delivery and more physical humor because, you know, fat people falling down the stairs is infinitely funny. Um, Anyone I, I falling down the stairs is funny. Let's be clear about that. But I, I have, you know, people, people have been likening Melissa McCarthy to Adam Sandler because you know, her, pictures right. are, her, well, her pictures are cheaply made and end up doing relatively Ponzi well. Schemes. Um, I would also compare her to like Chris Farley, you know, who was probably an interesting comedian, but made his bread and butter on physical on you know the fact that he was fat. He was fat and he used it to do physical comedy. She is kind of the same way. And there's a lot of that in the movie, especially when it comes to testing out the equipment, as I said earlier. But the two times, the three times in the movie that I actually had a, like a vocal out loud belly laugh, like, you know, just one of the like guffaws. And she's the only one that really got it out of me. That's why I'm saying like, I'm like, it wasn't like I was ready for it because I was a huge fan. I was surprised she was as funny as she was. 
when Slimer steals the car and Kate McKinnon points out that there's a that there's a, a nuclear device on top of it, she goes, "Well, we just gave the ghost a nuke. I guess we better run." And I howled both. I saw the movie twice. I howled both times. And then later on, when Jim Slimer picks up the female Slimer and the other ghosts that are hanging on on a 1950s, uh, and, she's, and she just deadpan looks at the camera and goes, well, that thing's having the time of its life. Uh, dude, I laughed again. And in the after credit scene where, um, you know, the joke had been that the Chinese food store would get their order wrong or does a shitty job with it. Um, she has a big thing of, like, I only got one wonton in my soup. That's an ongoing gag. At the very end, she gets like a container just stuffed, overstuffed with wontons, uh, as a you know, as an appreciation for what the Ghostbusters did. And she's like, "Look, I'm just looking for an appropriate wonton to soup ratio. This is madness." And I'm sorry, I know that sounds stupid, but I, I'm laughing now. I think it's funny. Yeah, um, as far as I don't shut up after this, so you can get a word in edgewise here. Um, as far as the humor goes. Kristen Wiig is very is pretty dry throughout this thing. She's the emotional heart of the thing, it, you know. She's it's her arc. She's the ghost girl that needs the validation most of all, um, and she, you know, it, it, but she doesn't get a lot of humor as such. Kate McKinnon, however, as Jillian Holtzman, who doesn't have a lot of dialogue, but is all facial expression and body movement, is fucking hilarious throughout this thing, and. and Many uh, many critics said that her and Chris Hemsworth stole the movie. Uh, I would agree, especially with her. I would anytime she was on screen, I was into it. Um, as far as Leslie Jones goes, just really quick. I know everyone. Someone wrote on my Facebook page like, "Well, that's what you get when you play a stereotype." This is this, this may or may not sound racist, but Leslie Jones sounded like most black people I've met, most educated. And by that, I mean high school and probably college. Educated, everyday, normal, working class, black folks. Speak the way that she spoke in the movie. I don't understand how that's a stereotype. I, I, maybe that's what makes me sound silly. But to me... No, I, I agreed with your assessment there. The, the points wherein she becomes a stereotype all got shoved into the trailer and are consequently completely unfunny but beyond that she's just a normal person yeah. when she needed to when she needed to deliver exposition or um important dialogue she did what any normal person would do she you know she smartened up a bit but when she was just talking as herself and being jovial or whatever or you know she talked like a normal person i i and that's what she was and she was fine. She, she, she was the only person herself... approaching normal or <laughs> behaving like an actual person in the entirety of this film. Well, you and I are going to then argue over Jillian Holtzman, aren't we? Um, but I, I have a, I have You a, have, have no an idea what you're in for. <laughs> um, so that's just the short thing. Um, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed some of the lines of Melissa McCarthy. I, she, they toned her down a lot from the trailer which I thought was good. Um, Kristen Wiig, she was pretty much the straight man in this thing. Jillian Holtzman was all physical acting, and Leslie Jones was... Leslie Jones lent herself well to the cast. Um, I don't really have anything good or bad or indifferent to say about her, and Chris Hemsworth played a moron. That I'm going to stop there and let you kind of butt in with uh, 
your your thoughts, at least on the cast. I don't really have anything good to say. No, now's the time. Chris Hemsworth has one or two moments of legitimately amusing either physical comedy or delivered dialogue. But I always find the moronic but good-looking receptionist or secretary trope good for one laugh or so a movie. I didn't laugh at anything in this movie, mind you, but the general sense of amusement. Doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman, if you have the attractive secretary being stupid, you can usually find one, or you can find one, almost always, point of amusement. And then it just gets tired and old. And that's true regardless of the gender involved. Uh, his, I'm trying to remember what it was, because there was something. Uh, either of the coffee bits, which he does twice? No. Was it when he held his eyes because something was too loud? Yeah, okay, that one was... No, no, what, what amused me about that was not when he put his hands over his eyes and they told him don't listen, but rather 20 seconds later when something loud breaks into the room, his default response is actually to cover his eyes. <laughs> I like his explanation for, you know, my glasses kept getting dirty, so I just took the lenses out. It might have been his discussion of his dog. My cat. <laughs> I think that one actually, I kind of grinned at that one because it's, and look, I, I generally don't care for physical comedy. It's too stupid. I'm not saying I won't laugh if someone falls down the stairs. Of course I will. But the majority of physical comedy in film is just overblown and stupid and I just want to leave I spent the entirety of this film fighting the urge to walk out <laughs> um, Kate McKinnon was not amusing she's every generic crazy haired wild eyed socially awkward mad scientist throughout the history of storytelling in any medium. There's nothing original. There's nothing amusing there at all. All of the theoretical comedy in this film feels like it was... It, this does not feel like a movie that was actually written. I don't think whoever got the screenplay credit deserved it. <laughs> they, they Someone watched the original Ghostbusters, structured sequences to vaguely follow in line with that, put these idiots on screen and said, improv. I'll give you that. There, there's some of that, but there was some of that in the original, too. If you think at they least wrote, those guys were funny. Hey, somebody's coming. Whoa, somebody's coming. We, you know, well, Bill here's Murphy. my thing about that. There's a difference between... I think there's a fundamental difference between an acting choice that, you know, only an actor will make in a scene and not even scripting out dialogue. I genuinely feel there are huge stretches of this movie that were not written. Paul Feig sat everybody down in front of a camera and said, do stuff. 
Didn't even tell him what to do, just stuff. I'm not going to argue with you there because I've actually read the, where that act, where I believe that happened. I don't know if it's as much as you're making it out to be, but there were definitely sequences where he was like, I have uh, three, I believe, actresses from Saturday Night Live and a, and, and, the, and the most famous female comic actor currently working in film today. Let me give them a platform for which to do their thing. So I don't think there's, I don't think it says on page 58 and then Jillian Holtzman starts to dance seductively at, at, you know, at Kristen Wiig. I think it was, okay, hey, we want to do is we want to do a scene where you're kind of messing with Kristen, you know, and we're going to play some music. Just, just, you know, listen to the music and do your thing. <clears throat> she came up with the rest of it on her own. I'm pretty sure they let the, the, the Mike Hat thing was Chris Hemsworth doing improv. And it speaks volumes that that was the only funny bit of improv they got out of the film. Comes from Chris Hemsworth. I have to disagree with a lot of what you're saying. I, I don't know if you're done, but uh, allow me to... No, just... but go ahead and make... If you wish to debate the specifics of my complaining that some 60% of this film was not actually scripted or written or formed in any way before a bunch of people got together on screen by all means. All I'm going to say is this. Um, I, first of all, the first rule of comedy is you must be funny. You didn't find it funny. You're not Not a single thing. Okay. We got it. Um, I'll do you one better. Hang on. Specifically, because if you, if you wish to make the point and to degrees, there, there is truth behind that point that, if you, the only appreciable metric for a comedic film or television show is did the audience laugh? I took your advice. I counted the number of audience laughs that came out of this movie because I'm not necessarily the fairest barometer for this. I knew I wasn't going to enjoy this movie. None of the humor is in my wheelhouse. This film got less than 10 audience laughs for its entire run. Okay. And when I say less but, than 10, I do not mean nine. I mean six or seven. It was the pathetic. Theater I, the theater I saw it in, there was more laughs going on. And the theater I saw it in was also full. Um, I saw it Friday night. I believe I saw the 745 show. And then I saw it again Monday at 1145 with my daughter. Which, by the way, uh, I always talk about my daughter's reaction to the movie. <laughs> she actually yelled at me. You'll, you'll find this amusing because it supports your argument that the movie should be burned. Um, but we walked out of it, and she, ha- she knew going in that she was going to have some troubles with it because she's, you know, she, she doesn't like scary things. And, she, and some of the ghost sequences were, if you're a five-year-old girl, uh, a little on the scary side, a little intense. And she had, you know, a hard time with some of it. Uh, but I'll tell you what she didn't have a hard time with. Yeah, well, let me first say, when it was over, I was like, Lily, did you like the movie? And she goes, Daddy, from now on, just take me to nice movies, okay? This was not a nice movie. All right. <laughs> what did you like about it, Lily? There were scary things in this movie, and I, they were not nice. Um, I'm like, was there anything that you... And I know, but I did notice that the, during the end sequence, where Kate McKinnon is uh, shooting all the ghosts with her uh, with her sidearms. 
my my daughter was like shadow boxing. She, she was jumping up and down in her seat, and she was like, yeah, and she kind of like, yeah, get him. She and probably every other little girl on the planet who saw this movie loved that sequence. That was a girl power se- sequence that kicked ass and looked awesome. Um, I will not consent to agreeing with either of those points. I enjoyed it. I liked it. I thought it was great. I thought I, I thought it was a... Not overly stylized, but just enough. No, no, it was overly stylized to the stupid to the stupid degree, and they had to do it in that obnoxious, terrible looking CGI. It was well, irredeemable. The whole thing with CGI, we're never gonna agree on that. If we somehow ever agree on what's funny, we're certainly never gonna agree on the CGI, except for maybe the good dinosaur. Um, but. Uh, like I said, I found the Kate McKinnon stuff funny. I was entertained by it. Whatever. I, I, the people who have reviewed the movie, for the most part, uh, found her to be the highlight and you know, found her stuff to be funny. You don't find it funny, that's fine. I, I'm, not arguing, I'm not arguing that you should. I'm just saying that that's, what, that's one of the things that made me like the movie. Let me shift gears here so they're not beating dead horses. Um, I said when it was over, I think I preferred this one to the original. And I know that sounds like blasphemy. Uh, bless to you, bless to me, bless to everybody in the world. Little Eddie is it for you. Um, here's why. And I was thinking about, I was, I was explaining this to my friend today, you know, because he's another one who isn't going to go see this movie, um, couldn't be paid to go see it, and wonder You're better off or not. I can't recommend anyone see this movie under any circumstances. If and, you're the, and, to the NSA intern listening to this review, show this movie on a loop to prisoners you wish to confess. And he, um, you know, so he called me up. He was like, all right, you've seen the movie now twice. I'm dying to find out what, why you have such high praise for it as you do. And I explained to him, I was like, you know, I watched the first one recently, and we'll be talking about this more on Long Road to Ruin tomorrow. Um, there's stuff happening with the characters, but it's independent of what the antagonist is doing. And what the antagonist is doing is just happening. There's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just, in this world exists an antenna that is used, that, that, that at a certain time, for no discernible reason that I could, that, that I could figure out, will draw Gozer out of another dimension. That's it. That's that's the movie. If you if if you are not focused on the actual Ghostbusters and their relationship to each other and the story that they're telling themselves, and you just look at well, what is the plot of this thing, what is the antagonist doing? That's it. There's an antenna that's just waiting for the third act to draw out Gozer. Now it gets set off by what by, by the only actual villain in the movie that does anything, and that's Walter Peck. But what he does is also independent of what's happening with Gozer. Gozer's just waiting around for, quote-unquote, the sign, and the sign is him opening up the uh, containment unit and setting out all the ghosts that they've already trapped. One of the things I liked about this movie was... You if you say the villain, I'm going to throw something. It's what the villain does. The villain himself is basically 
I felt like sort of a, uh, a they, they took the internet troll and decided we need to actualize this entity into a character, and that's all he is. It's yes, let's does. take all the fans of the original film, or films in general of this particular nature, and we're going to turn them into the villain to further alienate a massive portion of the audience. Great decision-making. Well, again, not the first time they took an evil genius who's, you know, disenfranchised and decided he's going to take it out on the world. A little stock. A little stock. I, you know, I'll give you that. This entire but movie is stock. Quit yelling at me. Um, <laughs> it's his so, plan. I like, the, I like the layout of his plan. You know, I like the idea of there, there may have already been ghosts, but they weren't powerful enough to really mess with anybody. He's making them more powerful. And he's doing it in such a way so that there's an end point. You know, that's the thing about this movie. I don't feel like the first one flows as well. I feel like this actually flowed from scene to scene to scene. That things built and built. And, and, and when the conclusion came, when the final third act uh, came about, we got there very naturally. Where if you compare it to the first one, and again, I'll talk about this a little bit more in depth tomorrow. I don't want to spend that much time doing it now. It's just, it, it builds, but it builds kind of without, it, without anything building it. You know, eventually Zul gets powerful enough for no discernible reason to possess, to possess Dana. And Vince Clarko possesses Rick Moranis, and they get together, the ghosts are unleashed, and out comes Gozer. There's no rhyme or reason to it, though. This, there's, everything is laid out nicely. You have a villain. He's doing stuff. He has a motivation. Whether you think that motivation is stock or stupid or whatever else, at least it was there. There's no motivation in the, in, in the original, other than Gozer. Yes, because extra-dimensional beings who exist only to destroy require in-depth human relatability motivation. No, but good screenplays do. You're going to call this a good screenplay. I'm going to say at least this villain had a motive. It had motivation to do something. Things aren't just happening out of the ether. So that's one of the reasons why I liked it. The other thing I liked about this movie, and again, then you respond after this. The other thing I liked about this movie was there was more time spent on the evolution of the team and their equipment. There's a lot of fun stuff, I think, in those scenes. All of the, the back alley scenes where they're testing out the equipment, I thought those were all, at the very least, entertaining, if not downright amusing. They weren't all Melissa McCarthy, quote-unquote, wrestling a gator. But, you know, there's some funny stuff that happens. Again, blowing up the motorcycle, I thought, was actually really funny. Um, and I liked the idea that, it's you know, science is never finished. You know, the projects are never finished. Her baby, Jillian Holson's babies are never finished. He's always improving on them. You know, we start off with, you know, Aaron, Aaron Gilbert having to wear the neck brace and the thing and, you know, oh, this doesn't keep you grounded. And then, you know, she shoots the, uh, the, the uh, pod glider and, the, you know, and there's not enough energy. So it, <laughs> so it fails and it falls down. It looks like a limp penis. Ha ha. I get it. You know, she's like, oh, we got to, we got to turn up the juice. And so in the next scene, she's like, I've done this and I've done this, I've done this. And that makes it better, you know, and I liked all of that. Because again, in the original, they just show up with the gear and the gear is just kind of there. They use it 
twice in the whole movie. I like the fact that, that they made the gear an important part of the story. Ness, your problems with all of that. I'll agree that I didn't mind the aspect of approach of looking at the technology behind it. it. It suddenly them sprouting proton packs in the original is a weakness of that movie. Unfortunately, I don't believe that any of those characters had the intellectual capacity or the physical capability to design, execute, or create anything approaching that level of sophistication. Why? What do you mean well, why? Well, hang on, it's one character. What is it about Jillian Holtzman that you think is so, that makes her not a believable nuclear engineer? Well, for one thing, if she were half that good, she'd be employed by the government. Why? Because the government does not let people with the capability to create things of that destructive power roam freely. They just don't. This is falling into the category of it doesn't work that way. Dude, it's a fictional screenplay. I she mean, spouts, but she spouts techno babble, but we never actually see her do anything. And to be fair, that particular complaint about, well, they're supposed to be scientists is much more leveled at Wig and McCarthy, who are well, written on, so because, poorly. Because I can make the same argument about fucking what's his face, Iron Man. Okay, that whole first By movie all is him do. And I don't for a minute believe Robert Downey Jr. is that character. I don't believe he's that smart, but he's playing the character. So, you're, you know, you're asked to suspend your disbelief okay, just a little bit. but the character bit. is shown on screen to be that smart consistently. But when is she shown to be dumb? She's shown to be having fun. She's shown to be socially awkward. And I'm sorry, I've met plenty of genius-level people who are socially awkward. I have no problem with her being socially awkward. I haven't met genius-level people who act the way that she does. She was. Fortunate. I'm fine with that too. Then what does she do? Is it, was it the munching of the potato chips that bothered you? Uh, that did bother me. Yes. <laughs> Look, I have, a, I have a fundamental issue with the fact that no one in that movie, with the exception of Patty, reacts the way even an intellectual or a scientist would react under those circumstances. Well, don't you, but I see, I would contend that the, the reason why they, one of them is in love with the paranormal. The other one needed validation from her childhood, uh, uh, you know, being abused by a ghost. And the other one's an engineer. She's there to make stuff. So her, her whole, she's, she's not the paranormal expert. She's just the one building shit. That's why it made sense for me, for her to be, eat, for me at least, for her to be eating the potato chips. She's like, I'm like, yeah, I'm here. I'm here because I'm your partner, but this is your wheelhouse. I'm just here to build a Can track. I also, in the realm of that, mention that not since Transfor the most recent Transformers movie have I seen such blatant and cringeworthy product placement in the film? Well, I'm not going to argue with you there, pal. <laughs> that also doesn't bother me either. They got, they got bills to pay. Yeah, no kidding. They overspent on this thing, and it's not going to make its money back. Yeah, well, that's a whole, well, we're almost there. <laughs> we're almost to the money. Um, we'll talk about it then. But I just, I, I respect your opinion. I just think you're being too hard on the beaver. I think I don't I, I have said these same things about other movies. This is simply the barometer with which I judge film. 
it, my, my criticism and my standard does not slide necessarily dependent on uh, thematic material. And maybe that's a flaw in my analysis. I'll grant that that is possible and potentially even probable. I'm not being any harder on this film than I was on Pixels. Which is, I think, roughly comparable in terms of quality. And I temporarily lost Mark. He should be connecting back in a minute. Here I am. Okay, there's Mark again. Let me remove that one. All right, you still there? I am here. Okay. Um, I was saying uh, that, uh, again, for the purposes of the script and the storytelling, I was fine with the way that they reacted. You have, again, you have Wig who is seeking validation because she was abused by a ghost. And she is, you know, abandoned all of this. And and if we're talking about the first time she gets slimed, it's that instant validation of, holy shit, all those years of abuse are finally, you know, I, I was right, there's really a ghost. And then you have this other one who's just, who's in love with the paranormal. That's her character. She so much as says it. I don't know, like, like, I am not entirely sure how you, in a, in a movie that's about people, you know, chasing and trapping ghosts, how they're supposed Which to Which they act. do not successfully in this movie. They trap one ghost. And let it and go the- three minutes later. <laughs> well, in I a movie argue. called Ghostbusters, they successfully bust not one ghost. No, they blew up a lot of ghosts. And, and, and they did I not blow them up. Here's where I thought you were going to fight me. I, you know, that whole end sequence with it throwing ghosts left and right, and some of them are bursting, and, and, and it's and terrible. It's, like, it's fundamentally terrible. I'll give you this: it's not particularly consistent because I don't understand how any of their weapons work. At least in the I first know. One, this is <laughs> that's the, that's my big gripe with that. It's like, okay, these proton packs are designed to tame. They hold the ectoplasmic material in place. Well, they weaken it first. So if you go by the rules of the first one, they shoot the positron glider, it weakens the ghost, they, are, they adjust the stream so that the next shot, it can, you know, it'll hold the ghost, they drag it to the trap, the, they, the, and then the trap takes it in. That's how it's supposed to work. And the rules were fairly consistent in both movies. This one... I don't Until know the end, it's... at which point they suddenly begin disintegrating ghosts. <laughs> well, no, I'm saying oh, in, it's, look, it's not in... consistent within its own universe, and more importantly, that bloated stupidity of an action sequence is so woefully out of co- place with the rest of the movie. Why? It's a summer action flick. No. It has one action sequence. That does not make it an action movie. If anything, no, it makes horror. the action sequence stand out and be It's stupid. a horror comedy action movie, see? It's a summer blockbuster. It's supposed to be big. It's supposed to be a circus. It's supposed to be an extravaganza. How do you, how do you not have a big, giant action sequence in 2016? I thought it fit well in place. I, I, again... Compare it to the original. They're standing there, they shake their positron gliders, they cross streams, and then it's over. And they're covered in goo. 
Yeah, who would have thought? They, in an intellectual comedy that also deals with a bit of science, they use science to overcome it rather than we're going to slow motion walk away from an explosion. Whatever, because man. Because it wouldn't have fit in the movie. No, man. I want to see, I want to see people. I don't care what you go. want. It doesn't fit in the movie. <laughs> there it does. No, it doesn't. It is a radical tonal shift from everything Ghost that has occurred up, up to that point. The movie was called Ghost Bust Em Up. I don't know if you know that or not. It's actually called Ghost, it's actually called Ghost Bust Em In The Face. Uh. <laughs> I get what you're saying about... Other people have said that, too. They took a movie where science triumphs over the over the paranormal, over mysticism, and they, they you know, and, and they, they threw that out, you know, to create Fast and the Furious with ghosts. Except that I don't care. You can care. I'm well aware that you don't care. It do, still doesn't fit. I don't know. Does because not I, I, fit. I feel like building up to a giant action sequence in a movie like this, which wasn't overly intellectual... I don't know. If, I don't know if you're right when you say that it doesn't fit. I think it fits closer than you might think. I don't doesn't, think it fits in the original one. Fit. I think that it doesn't even fit in this one. Why? First of all, they suddenly display athleticism on par with a professional free runner. Okay, only one of them does that. No, you have Kristen Wiig doing a few things like that as well. And then Kate McKinnon suddenly sprouting parkour powers out of her ass. <laughs> okay. okay, but Kate McKinnon was the only one that did it. Uh, what do you call it? Melissa McCarthy doesn't – Melissa McCarthy gets dropped on a car once. Uh, Patty, I don't Which I really doing. wish had actually killed her character, but – that. Um, Patty doesn't do anything particularly, you know, uh, Wonder Woman-ish. I don't remember Kristen Wiig doing anything either. She shoots a ghost with a shotgun and she stabs the state pup. Oh, she does like a cartwheel or a sideways flip while holding on to one of them without losing concentration and scoring a perfect landing. Perfect landing. Okay. It it went by so fast. It's silly, stupid, some executive mandated an action sequence that does not fit within the rest of the movie, and everyone just kind of smiled and went along with it. I enjoyed it. More importantly, it never should have actually reached that point because our villain, lacking any sense of internal consistency, has the ability to freeze and bodily control an entire portion of the U.S. Army that shows up to stop him. But hey, the only people with the actual technology and capability of doing so, no, I simply my ability to control the human Piss off. I'll give you this. Odd choice by the villain to not have the army turn on the Ghostbusters. It's not odd. That's stupid on par with boy, I'll hang out in Siberia and sure hope that these two people I want to manipulate show up at the same time. What are you referencing? Your favorite closing sequence from Civil War. Oh, God. Him not... Him not doing that. Having the capability of actually executing his plan... And just not is worse than Daniel Brawl hiding out in a bunker going, please let Iron Man and Captain America show up at the same time so I can play them against each other. It is worse. In the interest of time, 
Todd, there's no debatable no point debatable there. there. I'm not debating you. I, I, I can. The one thing I'm going to concede in your entire argument is that when it came down to it, and it's not even something I picked up on until you just said it, but you're you're absolutely right. If you are going to say, Mark, you are not allowed to leave this podcast unless you agree with me on at least one thing. It is at the very end of the movie. I have two problems. You've just now named one of them, which is why doesn't he use the army to shoot the Ghostbusters? Whatever. Um, my other one is I was okay. The with entire the sequence where Kristen Wiig dives into the extra-dimensional portal to save Melissa McCarthy is unnecessary and stupid. No, that was a payoff to her abandoning. It's not her a payoff in their relationship. Yes, it is. Can I ask? If they maintained my- any sort of interpersonal conflict following that first opening 15 minutes, then sure, I'd agree with you. But no, they start working together, and all of a sudden they're best friends again. I wouldn't call them best friends. Best they don't, friends. They're not best friends. She had they're more best friends. Kristen Wiig had more interactions with Kate McKinnon. Um, even at, and even at the end of the movie, she's hugging Patty. I don't care. I don't care. No, <laughs> so here's my. But I was gonna say, if you if you force me to say one bad thing about this movie, I will say this. I was okay with the cameos and fan service up to this point. The point at which oh. they, they, they do the exchange, where uh, as I said during during my synopsis, well, what form would you like me to take? All right, now you're you're just you're you're ham fisting, you're forcing a Stay Puft Marshmallow bit into this movie that didn't need to be there. That whole bit where they rest from the point that they rescue Kevin to the point where they figure out they got to shoot the car in order to turn it into the trap was nonsense and it was ham-fisted and it didn't need to be in the script and it was literally only there because of, because they sat around going we need to recreate the stay puff marshmallow thing we don't want to do the exact same well, thing sure we've well, recreated we've everything recreated else up to this point and done a bunch of pandering to people who liked the original so you know and, and choosing the logo was very lazy one of the things that makes the stay puff marshmallow you know who saw that coming but to do the logo i thought was gay it's just like, we've run out of ideas, folks. There. I said something, there, there was, I said no, something negative. Well, the people at Sony sat around and said, we've run out of ideas, let's remake Ghostbusters. This all movie all right. is devoid of originality to begin with. I enjoyed it. Mark, you can like the movie. That's fine. There is nothing original There is nothing here. original here. Um... No, it's not a whole lot of original in Hollywood, my friend. Have you seen our? I'm aware of that as well. <laughs> not a, not about criticism, in my opinion. That's the world we live in. It's a valid it criticism, a valid when criticism, it's criticism when it's derivative. Okay. Can you uh, take a deep breath, take a shot of absinthe, and we, let's move this podcast on? No, I have two no, more. I things. have two more things. Okay. One, the CGI yeah. is terrible. Now, at least they came up with a quasi-valid excuse for it to be terrible. Wait, 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 Robert Winfrey hates the CGI, everyone. Take a drink. It, it, hang on. At least they came up with a quasi-valid excuse for it to be terrible. So I'll give the smallest modicum of credit to the people because you're dealing with something that is, you know, extra-dimensional and metaphysical. So, okay, it looks different. Sure, it still looks like crap, but it's supposed to look like crap. 
and I suppose that removes it from degrees of it's not it doesn't look real. Well, it's not supposed to. Well, it still looks like shit. Uh, the, the 3D is god awful. Oh god, you paid to see it in 3D? No. Why on earth would I do that? But it's so yeah. painfully obvious what sequences they shoehorned in there just so the 3D audience could do the stereotypical ooh and pull back from the screen, which I bet no one did anyway because it's so freaking obvious. I did. It, 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 it's still terrible. I did the, the, the when the when the uh, first ecto projectile scene happens uh, on Kristen Wiig and. With in, and I saw it in 3D. I actually saw it in 3D IMAX the first time. Um, so I'm that guy. It, I don't know how it looks on, a, on the regular screen, but in, in, the, in the IMAX 3D, she converts from the pretty lady to the monster, and her head takes up the entire screen, and the vomit comes right at you. It's gross. No, it's not. It's images on a screen. My subjective opinion. It was gross. It was gross to no, look at. It was gross. It is not gross. It's not even gross to look at. It's green to slime. You, sir. To you. Green slime grosses you out. I don't know. Get it? That was a callback to you came to that on television. Did you ever see that show? No. No. Oh. Damn it. Uh, you mentioned the fan service and cameos and crap like that. I hated every one of them. I thought the Dan Aykroyd one was funny. I would give you Aykroyd in the sense that he plays the stereotypical New York cabbie who has seen so much of the crap that goes on in the world that none of it faces him anymore. He was dressed as the ghost cabbie from the first movie. Again, I'm prepared to acknowledge that Aykroyd's brief time on screen is not terribly offensive. Uh, Bill Murray serves no purpose in this movie. I don't know how much... No, he doesn't. He's the gateway to them seeing the mayor. No, the mayor was coming anyway. When the ghost throws him out of the window... They show up as he's being thrown out of the window anyway. They do not... The two are not related. No, they showed up after. The police are investigating why he's dead, and then Homeland Security shows up after the fact. They, again, they would have shown up anyway. You need the police, him. The police would not have shown up. Homeland would have, because at that point they've suddenly discovered the internet and are looking at them and decide that... That's another thing that bothers me. You're getting famous. No, they're not. They have one incident. They're not famous. You don't need to tell them to knock it off. Their own giving attention to things like that is what causes it to grow. They had not yet reached a point. I mean, at least in the original, when the mayor called them in to consult, they had established a business and a presence within the city that justifies that. They called them in after the trap incident. That's the only reason why they go see the mayor. Still, the point being, they've gone out of their way to establish that these people exist within this world over a prolonged period of time. And no, in in many ways, it's similar. They went into this concert, a million people, not a million, 
500 people saw them, and the internet roundly dismissed them once again. But oh no, these people, unlike every other hack job with a camcorder, we have to pay attention to. Well, that's the world we live in, sir. No, that's crappy screenwriting. That's another thing that bothered me about this movie. (laughs) Here we go. Hang on. Now, this one I feel there's two things. First of all, again, the Bill Murray, the Bill Murray character in this is not necessary. You could have easily had the president of Columbia, I think Charles Dance played him, show back up and proceed to continue to dismiss, officially terminate Kristen Wiig and have him in a display of, no, you're delusional, open the canister himself and bring about his own demise. And you wouldn't have had to pay Bill Murray who did not want to be there. Or make Bill Murray the, uh, the dean. Okay, now the, uh, uh, the character Bill Murray plays in this version is not necessary. Had he been the dean, the discussion shifts. I'm really at a loss as to what they're exactly doing in this movie. In terms of their setup. The original, they go out of their way to make a point about Okay, we, we've been fired from our university. Let's set up a business. And, there, you know, the jokes about Dan Aykroyd getting a third mortgage on his house, which still make me laugh, because seriously, $95,000 over three years in just interest. Yeah, the point is they go out and then you see them struggling with their, again, small business in a niche market that no one else is going to take seriously. And with them, it's just like, well, we need a space for our workshop. Okay, what are we doing? They were Well, we're to... ghost busting. Well, okay, but how are you going about it? What are you doing? Well, the yeah, right. script demands that we bust ghosts. No. Now, hang on. That... Here's how to make it better. Here's yeah. how to make it better. Hang on, I'll give you that opportunity, but at least get it right. When, when they're fired from the whatever technical school they work, that uh, Melissa McCarthy worked at, she says, hey, guys, we can really do this. We can, successfully, uh, we can successfully trap a ghost and study it. I think we should do that. She says it right there in the movie. Yeah, but again, to, uh, part of it is to what end? And part of it is what process are you going about doing this through? I'll give you now, there's not enough. Now, you, again, here's how you can make this better. Instead of having them set up a small business like they do in the original, have them attempt to independently fund a scientific, you know, scientific research. And now look, there's no hilarity to be had in this movie, but there should be comedic opportunities with these three nutcases actually trying to fill out grant applications or <laughs> swindle money out of rich people who have nothing better to do with their exi- with their money than spend it on crap like this. Yeah. And now, now as you say this, I'm like, they should have had a Kickstarter. Sure. Any of that. And actually, again, establish what we're doing. We're not a small business necessarily. We're an independently funded scientific think tank. And I don't think Paul that smart. I'm going to be you for a second and be overly negative. I don't think Paul Fee's that smart. He's That's not. a good idea. 
that's a, that's a good idea. But I honestly think he's like, you know what? We don't need to waste time getting the details about, about the structure of their business. People get it. They're the Ghostbusters. Let's just move on. Sure, the script says they must bust ghosts, so who cares how we get there? Got to get the kids to the mall, baby. Yeah, but this is more like, instead of driving there, we're going to airdrop them without parachutes. Okay. Uh, I complained about the product placement. I complained about the CGI. Their villain is the single most uninspired, uninteresting, underwritten, poorly acted entity put to film in the last three years. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot positive to say about him. I mean, I get him. I, I got the motivation. I liked the fact they had a villain and I liked what the villain was doing. But his actual portrayal was his actual portrayal was the people who were involved in creating this script and shooting this movie going, boy, howdy, do we hate men who enjoy science fiction and fantasy. I know. Hey, this is our fan base. Let's spend the totality of this movie destroying them on screen. Well, you know, the year of the woman, Robert Winfrey. I don't care. (laughs) This has very little to do with that and everything to do with A, not understanding your audience, and B, poor screenwriting. Sony does display an, uh, a tone deafness. Sony that is... is full of giant sacks of crap somehow given sentience. Okay. Barely capable of sapient thought. Sir, do you know how to read a clock? Yeah, I do. Uh, complain- all right, I meant, oh, yeah, I mentioned all of the cameos and fan service that comes across. It's this weird dichotomy of being insulting and pleading at the same time. They all could like, have said oh, no. you like this and the you, you like these people in the first movie, so here we're gonna throw Bill Murray out a window. And Again. please, these are things you liked about the first movie, so please this movie can't actually be that bad. It is. Well as far as the, the, the actors in the movie, look, I don't think you can make Bill Murray do anything that he doesn't want to do. On some level, he accepted that part and agreed it was a good enough part to do, and so he did it. They and paid I'm him sorry, enough to sit down on screen, and he said, sure, I'll take your money. He doesn't need the money. He didn't need to be in this. He could have said He no. might have been contractually obligated. I'm not entirely sure if just he was. Just as a thought. I'm not sure, but I'm just saying he might have. I- I think I, I think like he initially owned part of the property and was like bought out basically because he kept because he kept saying no to the you know to these projects but he was saying no at the last minute. Um, and but well, my, my, look, Bill, I'm blaming you for this now. You should have kept your percentage and still said no to this one a hell of a lot earlier. But my point is to sit here and whine. Oh, you know all the cameos. Oh, this. Oh, that. These people showed up to set. They agreed to be in the movie. At some point, it's on the actors making those choices, and, and you can't just entirely blame the production crew, you know, and the scriptwriter are putting it. They, you know, if they if they decide they want to make Dan Aykroyd a naked clown, and Dan Aykroyd agrees to it, well, fucking blame Dan Aykroyd then. I blame both. I blame them both in equal parts for this. I blame okay. the structure of the movie for being so poor. 
that throwing cameos left and right in is the only way they can attempt to engender some form of either emotional connection with their audience or give the crowd something to actually care about. And I, all of the actors except the one who played Janine, I'm going to get mad at because you've all done relatively well for yourselves financially over the years, and you should not have lent even the appearance of credibility to this film that your appearance on camera actually does. What was the last thing Dan or Dan Aykroyd was in that anyone would care about? Honestly, I don't know, but he's transitioned away from acting and does a lot more of the producing side of things at this point in his life. And they don't have to worry about hits or misses necessarily. They get paid flat rates. I'm just looking at like, just as an actor, I mean, Look, and I was mentioning this to somebody else. I said there comes a point where, as an actor, you want to be, you want to be seen, you want to be acknowledged, you don't want to be invisible. You know, there's an ego attached to being an actor. It has to be there. You won't be successful. Um, and I'm telling you, there comes a point where I think he took the part because you know it's 2016, and who the fuck knows who Dan Aykroyd is. He took the part because he has a producer credit on this thing and is terribly biased and wanting it to succeed. He can he could have just been a producer and said no. Well, this isn't slavery. These people could have said I don't need to be in this. You know, I and I really to... wish they had. So his last couple of films, okay? He was the 1982 championship MC in Pixels last year. In 2014, Ugh. Legends of Oz: Dorothy's Return. Uh, he did the voice of the scarecrow. He was in Tammy, and he was in Get oh. On. Dan, what are you doing? In 2012, he was in the campaign as Wade Motch and the ultimate sacrifice as the narrator. 2010, he was Yogi Bear. He was the voice. In 2008, he was in War Incorporated. And I'm going to stop with 2007. Uh, he was the, he was Captain Phineas Tucker, and I pronounce you, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Yeah, Dan Aykroyd has a ton of uh, integrity to stand on at this point. This was too, this was not good enough for him. Fuck that. Well, a it wasn't, and b I don't know what he I don't know how he got so intrinsically mixed up with Sony, but. I imagine he wishes every night for the ability to go back and bitch slap his younger self and say, no, these are bad people. Stay away from them. Okay. I'm pleading with you. I'm begging you. I'm on my knees. Can we move this on? Uh, sure. In brief summation. Don't go see this movie. Don't spend a dollar on it at Redbox. Can I can I have the last word? No. Since you said go see, don't go see this movie, can I can I can I make my plea? Can we have a shared podcast? Uh, I acquiesce uh, only on the moral grounds that you've treated me well enough in the past that I will overlook this insight, this infraction. Um, this movie's forgettable. I mean, this doesn't and this is a good transition to what we're going to talk about, this didn't warrant any of the fervor, uh, any of the controversy that came out of it. It certainly doesn't warrant the treatment of the actors uh, that, that came out of it. Go see it if you're like me and you like fun, light, stupid entertainment. Um, 
you no, my no, 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 no. Do not lump this in with fun, light, stupid entertainment. That's an insult to fun, light, stupid I, entertainment. I, I, enjoy, I enjoy your fun, light, opinion, stupid entertainment. Sir. This is my final word. Thank you very much. And I'm going to regard I'm begging you. on behalf of that entire set of cinema not to insult it. Bad things will happen. Uh-huh. The other thing I would tell you is if you have an experience like mine where you have a young daughter who is looking for uh, a fun action type role model. As long um, as she is not over the age of nine, because otherwise you're going to have to explain to this poor child that fart joke. I'll let you have that one. Fun, light entertainment. A family in the theater, I saw this and walked out after that. Good. Okay. Nobody walked out, and there were plenty of families that I saw that that, that saw it with me. Um, Yeah, if you have it for the third time, if you have a child, uh, you have a little girl, um, it's a fun movie, and they can take some of the more intense sequences. It's fun to take them to this movie and let them see something that uh, they don't necessarily get to see a lot in movies, which is, you know, women having, you know, fun action heroic sequences. My daughter got a kick out of it. Um, like I said, she's five. If you have a similar situation in your home, there's nothing overly offensive uh, or any reason not to go see it. It's a, it's a fun movie um, if you turn your brain off and just allow yourself to enjoy the pretty colors. Yeah. Even with your qualifiers, I can't agree with that sentiment. I'm not asking you to, sir. I'm, I'm speaking to the people. I, okay, let me close with this. Oh, God. A plea. No, no, no. This is somewhat related to one of your points, and I think it bears being acknowledged. To some enterprising screenwriter out there, I'm begging you to write a fun, entertaining female action lead for a movie that is not R-rated. Because none of these women qualify as funny. None of them qualify as interesting. But because the only legitimate kick-ass female action characters appear in movies you can't necessarily show to girls who are 5 to 10, this is what they get. And that's on you, the creators, for not doing a better job. So I'm begging all of you, do a better job. Look, this is why we don't generally review comedies, by the way. See what happens. You have somebody who has, on this very podcast, said comedy is a very subjective thing, speaking like he is the absolute tyrant authority on comedy, saying this is, by and large, not funny. I decree it's not funny, and so far it is not funny, and therefore it is not funny. Okay, uh, allow me to rephrase, given the subjective nature of comedy. I found this unfunny. There we go. Everyone, everyone in the theater I saw this with found it unfunny, apparently. I have not seen a review or interacted with a single person, either in life or online, apart from Mark Radlich, who thought this movie was funny. Oh, you're going to get it when we get to the Rotten Tomato reviews. The, what? You mean those pandering sycophants who decide that, well, uh, I can't say anything bad about every, this because I'll get blasted. Every review is bought and paid for. I know. Not a single not one. A, no, being- no, 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 no. Hang on, hang on. I didn't say bought and paid for, and certainly not all of them. For some reason, when it comes to the critical analysis of this movie, 
there is a massive undercurrent of two things. One, trying to piss off all the trolls who decided they were going to hate this thing months ago. And I can appreciate not liking trolls as much as the next guy, but you've already then completely taken your credibility and thrown it out the window by engaging them on that level. And two, this bizarre fear that their criticism might be misconstrued as misogyny. I don't give a flying crap about the gender or race of anyone in this movie. The movie sucks. That's you and it's not bizarre considering it happens. But can we actually talk about that now? We have 31 minutes of live time left. Hang on. Let's briefly talk about the money in this thing because we do and I think it needs to be talked about very briefly that Sony's going to lose money on this and not care because they're so fina- they're so desperate for not only successful movies, but to get in on the shared cinematic universe trend that everyone's trying to bandwagon hop onto, that they're going to take this and make it their little baby. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. So, I can speak for a moment. Go ahead. I can just just get a word in edgewise. Sorry, I kind of went off the rails there. Go ahead. Someone bring Robert Winfrey a cold beverage. Not alcohol. Not alcohol. Cold beverage. I got water right here, and I'll take a swig of it for all the poor working men who had to sit through this piece of crap. (sighs) Come on, I'm mixing in a shot at Steve Austin with that. You have to appreciate that on some level. You are painful tonight. You do. You, Sorry. You, you, you are like gas. Painful gas. All right. Go I, this was the single most unenjoyable experience I've had in a theater in the last three years. Yeah, I'm going to take it out on, on this show. Sorry. Hey, did you this movie? Because for the past 90 minutes, I haven't been made clear about that. It's a bit vague. bit, bit vague. So, uh, you're a little understated. Are you we know. I'm just not sure I've adequately expressed just how the degree to which I didn't enjoy this movie. Sorry. All right. No, no. I'm I'm done with that. We're onto the finances, and then I get to yell at critics. So, okay. The money. This thing couldn't. Yes, yes. The fact that this thing couldn't oust the Secret Life of Pets in its second or third in its second week out just makes me laugh. So, Ghostbusters 2016, <clears throat> production budget, $144 million. They're estimating that there's another $100 million spent in advertising, bringing this thing to almost $200 let's, let's, let, let, let's round up and go $250 million. This thing needed to make $500 million to really break even and to justify in a sane world any kind of sequels. Made it, as of this writing as of this podcast, uh, domestic 57 million and foreign 18 million for a worldwide queue of 75 million. Now here's where things get a little weird. Uh, if you look at the analysis, they're going by, uh, they're going by two metrics. They're, they're looking at uh, whether or not the thing is going to have legs and they're using comparisons to other Melissa McCarthy movies. So if it does as well, <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. Seriously, that's their metric. 
Yes, they are. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've read through all this stuff. Hilarious. So they're looking at the last like half a dozen Melissa McCarthy movies: Spy, The Heat, uh, Bridesmaid, which was also a Christian Wig joint, um, Tammy, and I can't remember the other one. Um, so they're looking care. at all they're all movies. terrible, and they're not the point. And they're looking at uh, the multipliers. Some had higher multipliers than others. And each one of those, um, they were they were low budget. They made multiple times their budget and were considered huge successes. This is why this woman continues to get work. The problem with Ghostbusters is that this is the first huge budget movie that she's been a part of. And it's only if the multipliers are on, the, are on par with her other movies that this thing even has a chance of breaking even. Um, so far, and here's the other problem. If Ghostbusters had a clean slate, like let's say they had, they had uh, put this movie out at the end of August, early September, where, when nothing is coming out. I mean, we're not even reviewing any, almost anything in the month of September. It's a, it, it's a dead month. Um, it, it, we, we were jokingly calling it the new February, the, mo- the month where movies go to die. Uh, if they had done it that way, it would have at least had a couple of weeks of, well, there's nothing else in the theater. It would have had something of a uh, The Martian going for where there was nothing else in theater that was any good, so people just kept going to go see The Martian. If that were the case with Ghostbusters and it had no competition, basically... That's also uh, the known as the Titanic syndrome, by the way. They might ha- This might have higher multipliers. It might have greater legs. It might actually get to where it needs to go in order for it to have sequels in the same world. I'm going to tell you why I keep saying it that way in just a moment. However... It's got to compete this week. It, it had to compete in its first weekend with uh, The Secret Life of Pets. And it was in killed. its second week, and it lost. I, I can't tell you how much I laughed at that. Come this on, Friday, we, I mean, you and I, we at least expected it to win the weekend. I knew it was – I mean, look, you, were, you liked it, and you were probably always going to like it, and that's fine. I don't mean that as an insult because I didn't like it and was probably never going to like it. And that's as much of an insult to me as the reverse is to you in that case. I think we both at least expected it to win its opening weekend, didn't we? Yes. Um, It's got Star Trek, which is almost certified fresh, by the way. Um, 90 some odd percent, right? Yeah, right now it's got a higher Rotten Tomatoes percentage than fucking Civil War did. You know, it might win the summer in terms of of critical uh, blockbusters. Um, we'll see critics, about that next week. Um, so it's got Star Trek this weekend, which all the critics love, and it's looked to, you know, supposed to be tracking well. It's got Jason Bourne the following week, which, okay, there you're going to have a split between something you can take your kids to and something you can't take your kids to. But then if you can take your kids to something, you might take them to The Secret Life of Pets anyway, or Finding Dory, which is on its way to making a billion dollars. Um after Jason Bourne, uh, I believe, is Suicide Squad, which is, <laughs> which is amazingly, it's, that's tracking at a $125 million opening. That, that's going to win. That, that's a, that might possibly win the summer. Um, outside of, you know, outside of really summer. ought to tell you how bad the summer's been in terms yeah, of so box the- office receipts. So you've got Star Trek, Born, and then Suicide Squad. 
you're like, okay, at this point, there's no room to breathe. It, it's, the competition's too heavy. And then once it gets past Suicide Squad, it's got Pete's Dragon. Once again, it's, you know, now it's in direct competition with yet another kids movie. Um, I think the following week is War Dogs. Uh, I don't know when Ben Hur comes out. But, but my point is, it's got stiff competition for the next month. It's already uh, moving kind of slow in terms of ticket sales. It's not looking good. But here's why I say none of that matters. And as I posted on my Facebook page, we're getting more of these no matter what. They projected opening weekend 40 to $50 million. It's opening weekend it made 46. So they're spitting that as a win. Sony lost Spider-Man back to Marvel. Now, they still have, I think, distribution rights to it. But basically, the big cinematic universe they planned with Spider-Man fell to pieces. They, Thankfully. I don't remember what else they have in, in, in the, as far as intellectual property, what else they've got left that they can mine. But there isn't much. And that is why Ghostbusters got remade in the first place. There was no, there was no interest um, at Sony in remaking Ghostbusters, which is why we never got a Ghostbusters 3 proper. We got a video game instead. There was no interest in remaking Ghostbusters or doing a third Ghostbusters movie at Sony until the Marvel thing happened. Once the Marvel Cinematic Universe became a thing in a in a billion dollar uh, um, in, in a billion dollar money billion dollar at this point. Uh, yeah, that's when all, all these studios started going back into their intellectual properties and going, "Fuck! What can we create an intellect? What can we create a cinematic universe with? What can we create franchises with?" That seems to be the only way to make any money. And Sony dusted off Ghostbusters, and here we are. Which is sad because it's not. There are plenty of studios making money on non-interconnected universes. Um, With that being said, they've now invested way too much money in Ghostbusters. They overspent on this one, but this one... But Ghostbusters 3 slash Ghostbusters 2016 has been in production hell for like a decade. So you figure if you're Sony at this point and you know you're, you're going to take a bath on this movie, it might not take a huge bath, but you're taking a bath. They're going to make up for it in Blu-ray sales. They're going to make up for it in toys and T-shirts. Look at Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as an example. That movie bombed this summer. But both my kids have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle T-shirts. The toys are still selling. The cartoon is still out there. Kids still like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's not going anywhere. That's going to get another sequel. Ghostbusters well, plus is Platinum Dunes is, well, it's nothing more than an excuse for Michael Bay to continue corrupting cinema with his crap. They're, an in, they're a fundamentally intelligently run production company that spends as little as possible making the movies to minimize their risk and then makes a, generally makes a hefty profit on them. They don't make good movies, mind you, but they are generally profitable movies. So while Out of the Shadows didn't necessarily draw at the theater, it'll, again, Blu-rays, toys, T-shirts, whatever. Okay, Kids what is it that Sony owns for this? Is it Columbia Pictures or the Village Roadshow Pictures? Columbia. Okay, hang on. I need to double-check what they've – how they've been doing lately, I suppose. Um, so with not a whole lot left to mine – Ghostbusters is going to get a sequel. They set it up with Zool. I'm a nit- 
there was rumor out there that they were going to do a girls Ghostbusters, a guys Ghostbusters with Channing Tatum and Chris Pine. No, not Chris Pine. Oh um, God! Thank you for not doing that. Channing Tatum and fuck, what's his fuck from Guardians of the Galaxy? Chris um, Pratt. Thank you, Chris Pratt. Uh, Ivan Reitman now says that was never really a thing. Um, but they are they are building towards Gozer is the rumor that. The next movie, the main villain is going to be Zool, and then in the third movie, you're going to have um, you're going to have Gozer as the main villain. Uh, they set that up in the end sequence. Spoilers. They set that up in the end sequence uh, with this movie, the end credits. Um, they're already talking about like a Slimer cartoon. This isn't going anywhere. If you if you actually look at like the list of Ghostbusters properties. They've got cartoons in the works. They, you know, the reboot in the cartoon. They're going to be more movies, folks. If you're one of those people, and you happen to be listening to this podcast, and you're like, "No, Ghostbusters, you've ruined my life. You've ruined my childhood. Please just bury this thing. Fuck Melissa McCarthy. Fuck that gorilla Leslie Jones. <clears throat> Fuck all these people. Fuck that bag Paul Feig. All these people. Just kill them. You're not getting your way." <laughs> you are being resoundingly ignored. This movie is to which I can only say to all of you people out there: shame on you for giving it that much attention. You want this to go away, and I, here's a big secret for all of you: you want this to go away, ignore it. <laughs> Thinking of the critic again. Well, that stands, but my point about that, you know, I don't like the new Ghostbusters. I don't like the new cartoon. Fine. Don't watch. Don't buy. Don't encourage your children to watch. Don't let them watch. I beg of you. It's going to be terrible. Don't, don't spend money on this. I regret the $5 I wasted on this thing. Hey, Robert, did you like it? Yeah. I mean, clearly this whole thing's been stick up to this point. Allow me to express my true emotional feelings about this. This is the greatest comedy since Monty Python and the Holy Grail. This will be required cinematic viewing for the younger generation for decades to come and hoisted up as the pinnacle of comedic cinematic achievement. No! <laughs> vomited a little. I'm just, just saying you... You mentioned it a few times. But you, you, you didn't like the movie. My point being, <laughs> my point being, if if you are like, if you don't care for this, that's fine. Don't spend anything on it, and don't talk about it. Don't complain on the internet. Don't flame. Don't troll. Don't engage in that level of asinine stupidity. You want properties like this to go away. You want marketing to go away. You want movies to go away. The Simpsons have a nice little ditty about this from a Treehouse of Horror episode sung by Paul Anka. (laughs) It's cleverly entitled, Just Don't Look. And please, how do I want to handle what? Because we're running awfully low on time here. We have 16 minutes. Okay, I need to mock Columbia Pictures very briefly for 2016. Please do. Because they 
Because they have released so far this year the fifth wave, which bombed. Uh, Risen, which was okay, but biblical you know, Christian dramas are usually going to do okay as long as your production budget is small enough and you're not exposed. Your risk is minimized. Grimsby. Which was, sorry, what was that? Let's do this in order, okay? The I am. The fifth wave. Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies, which we which we covered, and it's got all kinds of. No, no, that's Green Gems. That wasn't Columbia. Uh, when I click Columbia on Bond Box Office Mojo or Sony, rather. Okay, I, I under Sony Columbia, that's what came up. Okay, and so Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which was meh. Uh, what comes after that? I have risen after that. Uh, do you have uh, something else? Hang on. Okay. This is what I got. Fifth Wave, Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies, The Mermaid, which actually did well. It's a China movie from China. The Brothers Grimm, which you already said. Miracle from Grimsby. Heaven, nobody thought. Money Grimsby Monster. Grimsby was such a massive bomb. It's, I mean, I'm not entirely sure it's appropriately quantifiable. Money Monster, which we re- reviewed earlier this year and gave Robert Winfrey a headache. The Angry Birds Nothing movie. Nothing in that movie works that way. The, the Angry Birds movie, which I think is still somewhere in the top ten of some list. The Shallows, Probably. which actually well. Um, oh, I am only interested in The Shallows if I know the shark wins. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, what do you got after that? Ghostbusters. Which they're going to take a bath on. And the only things they have coming out next, they have a crappy comedy op- opening opposite Pete's Dragon called Sausage Party, predominantly featuring Seth Rogen, Jonah Hill, and James Franco. So please, none of you go see that. Those guys are terrible. Uh, then we have the Magnificent Seven remake, which I imagine the lion's share of the money is actually going to MGM. And I'm not sure about that one. I mean, I think we're reviewing it, but... Yeah, because you asked to review it. Well, it's a remake of two classic movies. Well, it's a remake of a classic movie that's a remake of a classic movie. And I kind of want to yell about it if it's terrible, because I have things to say about the remake trend that I think that movie will typify and allow me to adequately express. Uh, Then you have Inferno, which... Might do which might do okay. People like Dan Brown. That's true. And then you have a sci-fi romance movie called Passengers at the end of December. That's no, no, it's no. oh, it's there to die because you have that bizarre kind of sci-fi tweener movie, The Space Between Us, and the Assassin's Creed movie opening the same day. Oh, oh along with Patriots Day, who people who like Mark Wahlberg will see because. I don't know. I don't get Mark Wahlberg's appeal. Because Star Wars is will we'll have a new movie out December 16th. Yeah, this is coming out the week after that. Yeah, no one's seeing it. I, I get, yeah, they're taking a bath on pretty much everything this year. <laughs> Not a well-run studio. So um, I could talk forever about how you know it doesn't. After all that's been said and done, and this is where I'm going to do my slow clap. Congratulations, Internet. Nothing you did. Your one major victory was you drove Leslie Jones off of Twitter. 
Melissa McCarthy will still continue to get work. Kristen Wiig will continue to get work. Leslie Jones will continue to get work. Kate McKinnon will continue to get work. We are, there are more Ghostbusters movies with this cast coming. There's nothing any of you can do about it. It is the only thing you can do about it is to ignore it, and you're not doing it. Morons. All right. Um, we really don't have time to get into as much as I would have liked to get into how we got to this place. You know, just a short, 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 short history was basically this. Um, a small group of morons who hate women freaked when they decided to do the all-female cast. But things got exponentially worse when they released the trailer. And because it's a terrible <laughs> trailer, and they all felt justified. Because if and there's it, anything the internet needs, it's a sense of self-entitlement based on actual evidence. You know, I, again, I don't, I don't think people wanted this. Here's the thing. I don't know if anything would have worked other than Dan Aykroyd, the ghost of Harold Ramis and Bill Murray coming back. Um, I, I just, I think people had a very narrow view of what a new Ghostbusters movie should be in the realm of how could they have. <laughs> well, and, movie sad, and here's the sad thing about that. I'll grant you. Hang on. Hang oh, on. sorry. Can I, can I... Go ahead. I apologize. Go ahead. If I think the the one thing I will say, and I, and I thought about this before I saw the movie, I was actually well prepared to walk in there and hate it, to be honest with you. Um, and I had thought about like what I would have done if they had said, "Hey, you know, we want to do an all we want to do an all girls Ghostbusters movie, but we'd like to do it without irritating half the planet." What are your ideas? I would have kept it in the same universe. I would have had Melissa McCarthy um, sort of be you know pursuing her uncle. Uh, uh, Ray Stance's work and him having buried it. And I, I think my story would have been something I would have taken advantage of the fact that Howard Ramos is dead and said that, you know, late into their years as Ghostbusters, he died on one of the missions and the whole thing sort of fell apart. Bill Murray went away with Dana. Um, the whole thing just sort of went to pieces. And, you know, and there's a, a, there's a degree of guilt over Egon having, you know, Egon having died in the middle of one of their, um, for lack of a better word, one of their missions. But having, you know, the Abby Yates character still be obsessed with all of this and feel like it has meaning and it, you know, and it needs to happen again and letting there be that sort of conflict between Dan Aykroyd and her and let the movie sort of evolve out of that, out of her need to resurrect the Ghostbusters and his uh, resistance to it. And then, you know, being won over and then saying, okay, well, if you're going to do this, then, you know, let, let me guide you. And then you have, you know, a Kate McKinnon character, you know, looking, getting, inheriting the equipment that's been in mothballs and saying, hey, you know, I can improve upon this. And, you know, we can still get those gadget scenes and just building, you know, have the, have the, the, the actual Leslie Jones character be related to Winston Zeddemore, you know, and just have it be a passing of the torch. Um, I think that's what it should have been. And even if you don't like that, that idea exactly the way I'm pitching it, I still think you probably could have saved some face had this been a passing of the torch from the first Ghostbusters to this group of women. Um, they didn't all have to be related. Kristen Wiig could have still been the same character, um, but, you know, but, draw, but still you know, drawn in from wherever she was in life. Um, and that would have been fine. I think there were elements of the screenplay that could that, that you could have worked into a passing of the torch movie. 
the fact that they just decided, hey, we're going to let Paul Feig do his own thing. We're going to first say that this is in its own universe where the Ghostbusters never existed, and then say 30 years ago there were Ghostbusters made no fucking sense to me at all. So some of the anger that people had towards this, I get. Um, you know, creating a villain that basically apes the, the, <laughs> the people making the criticisms, not a wise idea. But, um, you know, they there were some choices that were made that had they gone with something a bit more respectable, I think might've saved it. In some cases, they, no one was ever going to be happy. You know, the moment, the moment this didn't have uh, the original cast in it, um, there they were some people that they, they were never going to pacify. But I think reasonable people would have given it a chance had they made some different decisions. Well, I think reasonable people still did. You and I are both reasonable people. The other thing, so so you had the, we're going to do our own thing. That annoyed people. We're going to put all women in it. That annoyed the people who hate women. Then the trailer came out, and it was partially, hey, this trailer is terrible. Hey, we hate this movie. Hey, remember us? We hated the idea of this movie in the first place. Well, we're going to try to sabotage. One of the, I, I think it was Gavin Napier who linked the uh, Red Letter Media Half in the Bag review of this movie, mm-hmm. uh, which I watched. Have you seen it yet? Because the line one of them says about, do you think the guy who put together this trailer just has it out for Sony? <laughs> Because, um, I mean, look, set the movie aside. That it, The Ghostbusters trailers are terrible. They don't I mean, regardless of, how you, regardless of enjoyment of the movie, those are terrible trailers. Yeah, they, they, they did not put the focus in the right place. Um, so then, you know, I, I, I don't... And then your remake of the song is just so awful. <laughs> It should yeah, be well, we glared at people who are barricaded with hostages. You want to get them um, to come out, blare that me. And this is a legitimate tactic, mind you, for people who are barricaded. You set up loudspeakers and you blast noise at them. Last thing I'm going to say about this, because once I think the trailer thing hit and there was a purposeful uh, attempt to downgrade the trailer and make it the worst watched on YouTube or whatever the phrasing phraseology goes i the hatred towards this movie took on a life of its own and it became a thing to hate the movie and i think that's where i lose my patience with people um you know people on the internet people in general where hatred is a hobby i I just why for some of us it's a lifestyle um the the idea that you own this property the idea that, and, and, and those of you who, th- who by remaking Ghostbusters think your childhood was ruined, need, need to get lives. I don't know what, what changes in your life you have to make. And I don't want to say, and I don't want to say even sarcastically, go jump in a river or something like that. But you, you do need to reevaluate your life. Look, I have the same childhood as a lot of you. It is what it is. It's my past. And whether or not a movie I liked as a kid gets made or remade or shot upon or shot in the space doesn't change the past. It, it still is what it is. My, I have a very fond memory of my father taking me and my buddy Ramsey 
uh, my buddy Farrow, rather. He had a brother named Ramsey. Long story. Um, Farrow and Ramsey, two kids I grew up with. Uh, but my father took me and and one of those kids to the movies. I remember walking in just as the just as Ray says, you know, get her to the library goes and she turns into a monster. And I remember my father was buying tickets at the time, and we walked ahead of him and we walked in the theater, get her, rawr, and me and this black kid go running out of the theater again, like oh god, you know. I remember that as a kid. I, I remember that the few things that me and my dad got to do together just one-on-one that didn't involve my mom was go to the movies. And Ghostbusters is one of like a handful that I remember vividly being taken to. Well, I have a great love for this movie. Again, something I'll talk about tomorrow on Long Road to Ruin. It's one of my favorites, despite all my criticisms. It's still one of the, most quote, one of the movies I quote the most. And I don't care if it gets remade. It, life goes on. This isn't the, if you care this much about a movie being remade, you need to reevaluate what's important in your life. And you're probably making terrible decisions. That's all I'm going to say about that. I agree with your sentiment. You know, I can understand a, a rolling of the eyes, a bit miffed, but to, but to generate this much energy and negativity towards something Seek, seek therapy. So we My therapist agrees, agrees with you. With you. <laughs> so two minutes left of live airtime and an undetermined amount of time left in, in overrun for me to try to give Robert Winfrey some sort of an aneurysm. Are you ready? I will. Let me say, hang on. Before we get started with this, uh, I have read some criticism. I don't know what Mark has lined up. The critical analysis of what I have seen and read that I agree with the most comes from Richard Roper as it pertains to this movie. And that's just where I've landed as far as that goes. So with that in mind... What was it? What, his analysis? Yeah. Oh, that it was... And I dislike his use of the word unfunny because, again, humor is subjective, but I believe there are... The science of humor does not bear up in that. There is science to humor, mind you. And there's very little of that in this movie. And criticized the acting, which I agree with. Uh, elements of the writing, and he said the CGI was cheesy, which is the best way I can describe it. Okay. All right, sir. You know what to do. <sighs> no, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Gary Dowell of Dark Horizon says, it's still a fun ride, thanks largely to casting. No. 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 Gotta keep your answers short here, okay? Hence the parade of sad no's. Good. Moving on. Allison Johnson of the Cambridge Day says, Paul Fee is becoming... One of the most interesting comedy directors today. Piss off. This is the man responsible for crap like The Heat and Spy. You have no credibility. Uh, Zach Middleton of Willamette Week. It's glorious. And if it ruined your childhood, sorry, bro. Yeah, you're attempting to troll trolls. You're pathetic. (laughs) Gasper Zimmerman of Claren. Okay says, this reboot hits almost the same good notes as the original 1984 classic. Full review in Spanish. 
No, this movie hits the same beats because it's a remake. The notes are sour. James Kendrick, Q Network Film Desk. The new Ghostbusters are frequently very funny, although the movie as a whole is never quite as funny as you think it will be. Uh... Uh, no, this is not a frequently funny movie. This is a frequently cringeworthy movie. And it was exactly as funny as I expected it to be, but if you think Melissa McCarthy is funny, you may have had you may have uh, had a bit of a piano dropped on your head when she's this flat. Robert Roten of the Laramie Movie Scope. As far as a remake of a beloved comedy, it is pretty good. We need good comedies in these times of hate and strife. There are a few good comedies now being made. This is one of them. That can't be a serious sentence. <laughs> that just There is no way that individual looked at this movie and said, A, this is a good comedy, and B, if you're attempting to orchestrate this into a grander point about we need less hate and strife in the world, you picked the dirt worst film to plant your flag in to make that point, sir. So remember I was talking about sequels earlier? Paul Whittington of the Irish Independent says, it's the fine script, it's the fine script that runs out of steam, so by the time it does, Wig and Co. have won you over and left you thinking that a sequel to this thing might not be entirely offensive. This is not a fine script, we discussed this earlier. Whether you like this movie or not, and reasonable people can disagree because, again, comedy, the script is terrible. It consists of large portions that are blocked out by Paul Feig, who says, do stuff. This is not a written script. This movie, and I meant, I meant to mention this earlier, I'll say it now, this does not feel like a fleshed-out movie. This feels like a crappy SNL sketch meant to poke fun at Ghostbusters. That's what the entirety of this movie feels like. Uh, Fiona Williams of FBS.com Australia. A relatable action comedy, told you. A relatable action comedy that pays affectionate homage to its source material. No, this is not relatable. Let's start off right there. Nothing about this movie. To be fair, nothing about the first, the original is relatable. It's not supposed to be. It's not an action comedy. There's one action sequence, and it's woefully out of place. Okay, you're going to want to brace yourself for this. I am appropriately braced. Mike McGranigan of the Isle Seat. Ghostbusters has hilarious performances. Superb effects, a killer soundtrack, phenomenal 3D, and sharp jokes. Put all those things together and they add up to 116 minutes of great ghostbusting fun. This movie is a blast. Okay. Okay. We have now found the idiot doppelganger, the, 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 my opposite number. This moron exists purely to counterbalance my sense of reality. Nothing in that, nothing he said is defensible. <laughs> what do you mean? You don't like the killer soundtrack? Mark? I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid. 
Mark, I accept that you disagree with me on this point. I acknowledge your perspective and I respect your opinion. You're a friend. I like working with you. I enjoy our discussions about this and various other topics. If you ever, (laughs) even in jest, attempt to justify or defend the blaring nonsense that, that emanates from the speakers over this film, I might have to fly to Florida, find a lar- fish up a large marlin, wield it by its sorty nose, and strike you with it repeatedly. <laughs> you want to know what else he rated? Sure. Let's, let's descend into that particular pit of hell. Uh, hang on. I wasn't prepared for this. Okay. Um, well, he agrees with the tomato meter 77% of the time. His okay. favorite films are the Brothers Mc... His favorite films are the Brothers McMullen, JFK, Flesh, Do the Right Thing, Chasing Amy, Fargo, The Blair Witch Project. He writes for ILC and Film Racket, and he is part of the Broadcast Film Critics Association and Online Film Critics Society. Uh, let's see here. He gave Ghostbusters three and a half out of four stars. Idiot. <laughs> the Secret Life of Pets three and a half out of four stars. Overrated. Um, Legend of Tarzan two out of four. About right. Independence Day Resurgence one out of four. About right. Finding Dory three and a half out of four. Man, how can he be this wrong just once? Pop Star, three and a half out of four. Okay, twice. Turtles, three out of four. Okay, we have now found. <laughs> it turns out that the, the ones he got right were the statistical anomaly. Apocalypse, two out of four. Angry oh, Birds, geez. three out of four. Come on, really? Really? Money, Mon- Money Monster, three out of four. Oh, son of a... <laughs> Uh, okay. The Huntsman Winter's War, two out of four. I think that's about where we landed, wasn't it? Yeah, something like that. All right, I'm not going to go through this 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 individual is a blight on society and criticism. I really need, for moments like this, that insult from Billy Madison... We are all – that is one of the dumbest things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now actually dumber for having listened to you. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Leonard Malton of Leonard Malton's Picks, a Ghostbuster team worth calling. This one's a comedic win. Look, because you were so drunk when you saw this at 3.30 in the morning that you laughed does not make it a comedic hit. Let's see. McCarthy, Wig, and Co. remain game throughout, but you end up feeling more for them than you do for their characters. No, they signed up for this. It's all on them. (laughs) Marcy Cook, the Mary Sue. That is, the Ghostbusters surpassed my expectations in every way. It was funny throughout, well-paced, with no huge downsizing. Sony has hit on its hands. Okay. 
I will accept your first sentence there about it exceeding expectations. If you expected a boom mic to constantly be in sequence and for Paul Feig's voice giving direction to actually be heard in the final product. Other than that, no. Jay Olson, you're going to love this one, especially because of what we discussed previously. Jay Olson of Cinema Mixtape, the year's biggest crowd pleaser and the spiritual sequel to Ivan Reitman's Ghostbusters that diehards have longed for since 1984, whether they'll admit it or not. No one has longed for this movie under any context, with the yeah, possible exception of... With the exception of Sony executives desperate to cash in on this fad of interconnected properties. No one. No one. Okay, this one actually got two out of four stars. And I don't know if he meant it as a... um, And I don't know if he meant this as a rotten thing, but if he came up on the rotten scale... Christian Toto of Hollywood into intoto.com. Ghostbusters is the remake our culture richly deserves. Please take a few minutes and, and discuss that with the, with the world. Ghostbusters is the remake our culture richly deserves. Well, we don't deserve nice things, so I suppose I can agree with that sentiment. Um, all right, if that one doesn't uh, get your goat, let me find another one for you because I need to take a quick break here. Um, <laughs> no, Waffle. let's just make this the last one then and we'll... All right, then. Um, Willie Waffle of WaffleMovies.com. I think Wig is let all of the comic genius talk go to her head. Who? Wait, 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 wait. Hold the... Stop. Back things up just a second. Who has ever called Kristen Wiig a comedic genius. Has anyone? Have you heard? I've never even seen that sentiment. (laughs) I I mean, look, I'll accept the fact that reasonable people can laugh at different things. That's fine. If you think Kristen Wiig is funny... I don't, but sure. I can, uh, we can, yeah, you, I can live and let live. I'm not going to harass you over your comedic sensibilities. Genius? In, in no way is Kristen Wiig a comedic genius. And no one, I, I've never heard that phrase uttered about her until Mark read me that just now. Because, look, if you think she's funny, fine. Enjoy. Laugh. I, sure. Don't, don't justify it to me. Don't expect me to agree with it, but I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to beat you up over it. Really? Genius? Are we, are we devaluing that word to the point where it now applies to anyone with the ability to get on screen? That's just just wrong on so many levels it's it's, I don't know what to do anymore oh that just that just hurts 
I will agree with this. And look, if anyone has been filling either her or McCarthy's head with that nonsense that they are comedically bulletproof and they can just parade around on screen and improv for 116 minutes and the masses will flock to them and laugh and keep praise and joy uh, upon them and accolades and money, then yeah, they've let it go to their heads and they're producing crap like this. Ugh. But uh, I, just, I, I don't know. I, I don't know anymore. I need a Farnsworth. I don't want to live on this planet anymore. Uh, what's his face? The young, uh, Pat Oswald tells a story about a teacher uh, in college. And as he's talking about how this teacher hated him and his whole class, the way that he talks about it is much like that Farnsworth thing. He's like, I, I don't want to live on this planet with you anymore. Uh, give your, <laughs> I'm gonna go home and open a vein. It's funny the way uh, Pat Oswalt says it. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Steve Crumb, VideoReviewMaster.com. There are enough plot variations and new inclusions to satisfy diehard fans of the original franchise. No, nope. no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. no, no. no. By that. No. Shame on you. Bad reviewer, return your paycheck and go sit in a corner. <laughs> oh, God. Sean this. Get out. Sean Byrne, Blythe personality. Faye's girl power Ghostbusters was forged in a crucible of man baby cyberbullying. And it wears a chip on its shoulder proudly. Uh, okay. Let's stop for just one minute here. <laughs> Let us acknowledge that there is, yes, a massive amount of backlash to this movie that was that is disproportionate to how bad it is. It's a crap movie. But to hear people talk about it, you'd think they were airing a snuff film. (laughs) And that's just not right. I do not care about the social climate into which your movie was released. Your movie is good or bad on its own merits. This is a bad movie, and if you are allowing the fact that this is an all-female cast to kind of color how you perceive it, you're throwing objectivity and credibility out the window in favor of either pissing off trolls or placating your masters. You're going to love this. I could use some love in my life, Mark. Please. Well, maybe you should go find this girl who writes for Slate Magazine. Her name is Dana Steven. She's a top critic. And she says, Robert Winfrey, these women are having fun, just being together and getting to don matching jumpsuits and wail on undead spirits. And their evident joy makes us happy to hop in the hearse for a ride along. Okay. I suppose you also spend your time ruminating about what a plus sign smells like. Um, look, 
did these did the cast have a grand old time making this movie? Sure. I imagine they did. Do you get a sense of camaraderie on screen from them? Sure. Even though there's supposed to be angst and personal tension between two of them and one of them has no logical reason for being there. Sure. None of that none of that makes the audience feel better about this or should make you feel good about paying to see this movie. Here, I found another potential bride for you. Sarah Stewart. Matchmaker Radulich in the house. Sarah Stewart, New York Post, top critic. Top critic, uh, Robert Winfrey. Know that she uh, is a well-respected critic and gets paid to write what she's about to write. Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig, Kate McKinnon, and Leslie Jones make a formidable comic team in their own right, though McKinnon steals the show as oddball physics geek Holtzman. The Egon, if you will. And you get... <laughs> okay, hang on. I'm not not going to yell. Not going to yell. I'm going to very calmly and very plainly tell you why you are wrong. I assume the only reason you reached this conclusion was someone explained to you that in the first movie, Egon was the the more the more practical scientist opposed to the other two. And you just naturally reach the conclusion that since McCarthy and Wig do nothing scientific for the totality of this film, she's the Egon. Because anyone with a reasonably functional brain who has actually seen the first movie and absorbed the comedic genius that is the deadpan head in the clouds Egon of Harold Ramis would never, ever, under any rational circumstances, compare goofy, crazy hair, wild-eyed, mugging for the camera Kate McKinnon to the to Harold Ramis's Egon. Look, I love Kate McKinnon in this. I, I could watch this movie again just for her scenes. She's not Egon. That's the most ridiculous comparison I've ever heard. You are wrong, wrong, wrong. You should be Neil ashamed Pond of yourself. Neil Pond of Parade Magazine says, confronts its critics head-on with freewheeling 2016 girl power. No, this does not confront its critics head-on. This insinuates snarky bits of dialogue about don't listen to the internet into it. That is not confronting your critics head-on. You wish to confront the criticism of this movie head-on, make a good movie! And you failed miserably in that regard. Matt Neal, The Standard. It's good. Take that, haters. Four out of five stars. It's not good. All you're doing is attempting to provoke the internet for clicks. You have not actually done your job. Cam Williams of Beret News, and he spells laugh, L-A-F-F, by the way. A laugh oh, a minute. Yes, because we're just rolling with the, the intellectual and cinematic greats here. A laugh a minute female empowerment fantasy far funnier than the original four out of four stars. Look, I said I like this more than the original because of the plot elements and, and, and screenplay structure. It's not funnier than the original. 
that individual is so wrong on every conceivable level, it's not even worth discussing. How can you be that wrong? Two plus two does not equal shoes, sir. Alice Alyssa Wilkinson of Christianity Today. Let's take a moment for a tribute to McKinnon. Not only is she channeling Christopher Lloyd's Doc Brown throughout, the glasses, the hair, the whole thing, but her random asides makes the whole movie. Well, if by her random asides are the only moderately amusing bits of corn in this pile of fecal matter, sure, I accept your analysis. I also agree that she is much more channeling Christopher Lloyd as Dr. Emmett Brown than she is Harold Ramis as Egon. Peter Travers of Rolling Stone, top critic, angry nerds, take note. The ladies are the best thing about this franchise reboot. Kate McKinnon is a spontaneous eruption of hellfire hilarity. Yay for alliteration. Yay for alliteration, and I've, I've just got to point this out. You do realize the director should have reined her in several notches at more than one point, right? But no, no, no. We can't possibly actually criticize the director. Uh, look, my dislike of this movie is neither irrational nor sinks to the level of blind hatred. I saw it. I didn't like it. I've explained why. This notion that you can dismiss valid criticism under the auspices of hating is sad. Steve Rhea of Philadelphia Inquirer, top critic. Girl power, ghoul power. It's a winning combination. He got paid, you got to, write paid to write that. <laughs> what are we? What are, What are we doing, Mark? What are we as a society doing? Amy Nicholson of MTV, and free, and she just made an appearance on Screen Junkies Movie Fights. Uh, they did classic movie fights uh, hosted by Alicia Malone. Amy Nicholson was there. She competed. And she says, a middle finger to the screaming bro babies, which she spelled with a Z. If girls can't be Ghostbusters, then here, guys can't do anything. Okay. Real fast. What are you hoping to gain from this? You typed that out. You, you actually sat there and typed that out. Why are you attempting to turn your movie review into a social commentary? If you wish to write social commentary, write social commentary. It'll still be crap, but at least you won't be misleading people as to what you're trying to do. <sighs> Sean O'Hare of Salon.com, top critic, a goofy, free-floating romp with an anarchic spirit of its own, a fresh set of scares and laughs, again, spelt with two Fs. Why? Moder- Why are you employing people who willfully misspell the most basic of words? Do you not understand the importance of the written language to history. Uh, Not done yet. Not done. I, I don't. If you willfully misspell a word, do you understand that years from now people will look back 
on the written history of the English language, and there will be contention over the how to spell the word laugh, in large part because of morons like you. You have laugh. made the future worse. Laugh, spelled L-A-F-F-S, and a moderate dose of girl power, a lot of girl power in these reviews, that is unlikely to seem confrontational to anyone beyond the most confirmed basement-dwelling Gamergate troll. Let me read the whole thing again. I'm going to make sure you got it all. I, uh, I heard it. Take a breath. Nope. Here we go. A goofy, free-floating romp with an anarchic spirit of its own, a fresh set of scares and laughs, and a moderate dose of girl power that is unlikely to seem confrontational to anyone beyond the most confirmed basement-dwelling Gamergate troll. Okay. No, there are at least two different points when they, this movie goes out of its way to be confrontational about people spewing hate before actually seeing the movie. On the one hand, I understand you should reserve degrees of hatred for a film until you, actually, until you have actually seen it. On the other, why, in God's name, are you attempting to insulate your opinion and your perspective on this film from proper critical analysis by, set, by claiming that, well, if you don't like this movie, you must conform to all these stereotypes? Chris Bumbre of Jovo's Movie Emporium. Why, why is it that for some reason it, it is assumed that to dislike this movie is to somehow cast a wide... It, the fact that I hated this movie from the bottom of my stomach, which, I promptly, which promptly left my body after viewing, mind you, is an attempt to purge myself. The fact that because I hated this movie on its own merits... This somehow means I hate women? I mean, how does that... That does not follow. There's no logic there. You just don't want to hear that your movie sucks and are pretending that because I think it does, that says something greater about my personal character. Chris no, that's mine anyway. Chris Bumbrae's of Joe Blow's Thank movie you. Emporium. An unexpected summer highlight. Probably the best all-around blockbuster since Captain America Civil War. And I'm ducking. I'm ducking. I'm not even going to address that. That is so wrong. On so many levels. On so many levels. We're going to end this on on one of my favorite reviewers to to highlight for you. Uh, And it's only because of geographical proximity. Sean P. Means of Salt Lake Tribune. This Ghostbusters isn't going to ruin anyone's childhood. Quite the opposite. A new generation of kids, girls included this time, are about to learn that busting ghosts is the best job in the world. Four out of four stars. Okay, I will agree with him only in the sense that no, it's not going to ruin your childhood. Your childhood is in the past. Unless you have somehow mastered the art of time travel, you fundamentally can't ruin your childhood. If you had a terrible childhood, fine. If you had a great childhood, fine. You can't actually impact that from your current state because time is linear from our perspective. (laughs) The rest of it is just wrong. (laughs) This has been fun. 
You know, you want to know Alex something crazy? Gray. I anticipate having this re- relatively the same discussion next week. Alex Ledbetter, what culture? Who are you going to call? These guys, actually. I'm going to call my therapist after this to talk me down off a ledge. You people. Joseph Walsh, interview. A quick-witted and visually spectacular bonanza. Shut <laughs> up. It is neither quick-witted nor visually spectacular. I'm not entirely sure it even qualifies as a bonanza. Fred Topol, We Live Entertainment, the movie of We've the We've got to get to plugs because we're going to get cut off in the next two minutes one way or the other. <laughs> I'm done. I'll be good. Ugh, my sanity can only take so much. <laughs> All right. Again, don't go see this movie. That's the only go way it's going to stop. Go see it twice. Take children. Mark saw it twice. He brought his daughter to one. That's three of you out there who should never see this movie. <laughs> this Do not support this in any way, shape, form, or fashion at any point for the totality of your existence, and we will all be better off for it. Wait, wait. This new A-team of Ghostbusters are fresh and funny enough to have earned space in the summer comedy tournament. No. No. No one's going to remember this movie in four months. Just keep going. Don't, don't pay any attention to me. All right. This Saturday at eight, uh, sorry, this Saturday evening, I will have live coverage of UFC on Fox 20 in the MMA zone of 411mania.com. Stop by, say hello. I appreciate it. Tomorrow evening, The Long Road to Ruin highlights the Ghostbusters trilogy. That's both movies and the video game. That's going to be Mark and Sean. Tune in. That's a good time. Mark and I are back next week, and we'll be reviewing Star Trek Beyond, which I kind of anticipate disliking, despite the general trends of things so far. But I might be wrong, and uh, we'll see how that goes when we get around to it. Mark and I are our own people. We take... The advi- we look at what other people do, say we take in the stimulus ourselves and arrive at our own conclusions. So it'll be interesting. Uh, and then I think we're back the week after that. I forget with what, though, but I'll tell you next week when we get around to it. No, I'll tell you. Okay. Next week is Star Trek Beyond. The week after that is Jason Bourne. And oh, the yeah. Week after- Mad Day Man on the movie. And the week after that is Suicide Squad. Currently yeah. tracking at a $5 million opening, baby. Yeah, because... God, I hate stereotyping like this, but a bunch of horny teenagers want to see Margot, Rob, Margot Robbie prance around as Harley Quinn. I want to see her prance around as Harley Quinn. I don't get the appeal of Margot Robbie, but... Go ahead, say it, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's say hot. it. No, say you're, it. You know you want to. You're a robot. Thank oh, you. Oh no, I'm not. Oh, okay. I thought you were skewing me up to make a gay joke, and I wasn't doing that this time either. No, 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 no. There's too many jerks out there waiting to take pot shots at me whenever I uh, have some have some jovial fun with you. So no gay jokes will be had today, sir. All right. If you feel like you don't wish to make gay jokes, I'm okay. I don't care. I'm I'm secure in my own sexuality, and if you get a laugh out of it, and other people do, what? Fine, I don't care. I'm more than happy to no sell them and simply explain why you're wrong in a flat, static voice. 
Iowa by Slipknot voted greatest album of the 21st century by Metal Hammer Readers. Now you're just trying to annoy me. (laughs) I'm going to repost that. Uh, Anyway, Suicide Squad ought to be interesting because I think that movie is going to be a tad dissociative identity disorder. I think it'll be a fun time has the movies. Yeah, that's the that's the line you tried to pitch at me that got me to see this. You're you're not tracking well with telling me that it will be a fun time at the movies. Whatever your answer to fix your, your history as it pertains to ascertaining my what I what I consider fun is quite you're not batting a thousand here, Mark. No, I don't think I'm ever going to pitch you anything that you're going to find fun. Except maybe, you know, reading the dictionary. Get it? Because you're a nerd. But I'm not calling you a nerd. Because somebody, uh, somebody out there might take a shot at me because I was being mean to you. So I'm just saying. No, but you are... You want to know something funny about that? This is, not, this, is, this is not a joke. This is not shtick. This is a true story from the anecdote of my life. When I was in junior high and high school... I lived without television access. Not rabbit ears, not cable, not satellite, none of that. So I read a lot. So I had a relatively expansive vocabulary, especially compared to my contemporaries, who I don't want to say were knuckle draggers. There were some very nice people there. There were some very intelligent people there, some of whom were smarter than I am and still are to this day. But as a general rule, I knew words, I knew their meanings, I knew how to use them appropriately in sentences. And at some point, as apparently people do, I was not aware this was a cultural thing. If someone understands wordplay, they are accused of reading the dictionary. <laughs> I, 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 and I was on a regular basis, at which point I kind of internally went, screw it, said, yeah, I don't have television, so I read the dictionary. Now, her sense of humor, even at the time, was so flat and deadpan that I don't think they understood I was attempting to make a joke, and they believed me. Kirsten Dunst is going to direct The Bell Jar, starring Dakota Fanning. I don't care. But my point there, Mark, is... I have not been been accused of actually reading Webster's Unabridged Dictionary in 20 years. 20, 15, 15 to 16. 16 years of my life, I have gone without that particular accusation being leveled at me. And I appreciate you dredging it up. (laughs) All right. um, Hammer of Doom, we just did the uh, Death Angel, one of the best albums of the year. Really shocked me, actually. How good it was. Um, next week, excuse me, Jesus. Uh, next week we'll be doing our show on Thursday because I will be at a concert on Tuesday. I got a fun week ahead of me. I'm gonna go see Batman and Killing Joke on Monday. I'm gonna see Gwen Stefani on Tuesday. I'm gonna be Not uh, Gwen Stefani. I, I I got that. Never taking my. Taking my kids to go see Gwen Stefani on Tuesday. We got Star Trek on Wednesday, and then we'll be. The Metal Hammer of Dew will be on Thursday. We'll be looking at the new Witherspoon album, The Northern Sanctuary. Uh, the following week, we'll be back on Tuesday, and we'll be looking at the new Neil Fallon of Clutch Side Project, Dunsmuir. 
And Long Road to Ruin will be following our Jason Bourne review with a Long Road to Ruin, the Bourne trilogy. Um, that's all for now. That's all I got before I choke to death here. Um, let me just say this as we, as we depart the show before Blog Talk mysteriously cuts us off. I am so glad to be done with this subject. At, tomorrow, <laughs> after Long Road to Ruin, yeah. not for nothing, as much as I enjoy doing Long Road to Ruin and looking at old films and, and you know, and to looking and sort of tearing them apart and having the, and listening to Sean talk about the history, the, the production side of these things. I'll be a lot happier when the show's over and I don't have to hear the words fucking Ghostbusters again until the next sequel. And hopefully, hopefully when the new one, the next new one comes out, people will have given up on this and have moved on to something else because not since Batman v Superman and the, controversy that erupted over that movie have I wanted to completely stop doing podcasts delete my Facebook, delete my Twitter and leave the internet entirely that's how far this has driven me, that's how mad I am at the people in in this world who felt the need to drive Leslie Jones off Twitter uh, by being racist Twitter's a pretty terrible place anyway I mean, I use it because it's quick access to information but it's a terrible place. If you're, I mean, honestly, if I were an actor, is a God's honest truth. If I was an actor and I was not Dwayne Johnson, I would just stay off of Twitter. No, yeah, absolutely. If, I, if this podcast ever gets famous, I may have to quit Twitter. Um, but I, I just, it's unfreaking believable. And I and I and I said that uh, to somebody yesterday on Facebook. I said, there's been a couple of times now I've just come, I've come close to deleting. Uh, my Slog Talk Radio account and just never podcasting again because it didn't seem like talking to the internet was a was a worthwhile thing. And I got back and please don't. We really enjoy your shows. So let me say this. Wait, someone like, listening to this? Believe it or not, I like wow Robert. I like Robert Cooper. I like Jesse Starcher. I like Sean Comer. Um, I like all the people who. Uh, do these shows independently and with me. And I enjoy talking about music and movies. And that's the only reason why I keep this going. Because if it were a matter of wanting to engage with people on the internet outside of the small circle of friends that I've created uh, through the Block Talk, through, through the Rattles and Broadcasting Network, I'd, I'd fucking close this thing down. It, you're, you're all not worth it. You're terrible people. Mark, it's the internet. I don't call it the personification of the id for nothing. <laughs> and on talking, that happy note. <laughs> you work in the mental health field. You should know that talking to anyone's id is a waste of time on many levels. If there's people out there that listen to this show that, you know, get some entertainment value out of it, that maybe get some edification out of it, maybe, you know, take our advice every now and then, or, you know, just use us. Yeah, I mean, look, if my if our discussions are what put your cranky two-year-old to sleep, <laughs> I don't care. First of all, I am so grateful you found something that puts your cranky two-year-old to sleep. I don't. When yeah. you find that, it doesn't matter what it is. You thank God you found it. Hang on, don't get me wrong. I uh, I treasure the people who listen to this podcast and come back week after week. My point was the people who took up arms to take down a movie. If you're, if you're one of the same, I don't really know what to say. I would like, I hope not. But 
I, I would like to think those are two different camps of people, and the camp that that took down, that attempted to take and failed to take down Ghostbusters. I I wish there was a way to not deal with those people anymore. Unfortunately, if you engage at all in social media, there's almost no escaping it, and I think that's the part that bothers me the most. Look, I don't care if people listen. I do this show because I enjoy doing this show with Mark. If there's people out there listening, God bless you. And thank you for investing in your, of your time in my public meltdowns on occasion. <laughs> All right. I'm going to hit the music. Uh, All right. Our- uh, yeah, we're back next week for Star Trek Beyond, where they blow up the Enterprise again. Surprise, because they always blow up the Enterprise doesn't mean anything if you do it in every movie. Which they do. Which they do. All right. Uh, but yeah, Mark, please, if you ever feel that bad again about doing this, uh, let me know. I apologize for the occasional contributions I have made to your negative experience with stuff like that. <laughs> okay. It's okay. I, I forgive you, Robert Winfrey. I forgive you, my son. And with that said... We do this not for the love, but for the money. Which we don't make. <laughs>